0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Makeup Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are here. We are on episode two of our coverage of Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. This ti- this episode is titled Exchanges. Spencer, what do you think of the episode?
1: You know, I thought it was solid. I think I'm starting to get a feel of the things I'm going to like about the show and the things I'm going to be a little bit more bland about this show. Um, I'm really surprised how much I like to watch people playing chess on this show. It's kind of awesome. They yeah. do a lot of fun character work with it. Particularly, we're going to talk about it more, but the interaction between Harmon and one, other, one of the other male players is probably one of the best scenes in the entire episode of just watching them play chess and the little reactions on their faces while they do.
0: Yep, yeah, for sure.
1: A lot of things that aren't chess, they're kind of there. Some are better than others, some are worse than others, but they're perfectly functional. So if this show is really wanted to do a lot more of its focus on chess... I'm legitimately surprised how okay I am with that.
0: Yeah, it's almost um, become like a sports show, right? Like almost like if you're watching yeah. like a like a football movie or something, and you're like, just get me to the get me to the scenes where they're on the field, like that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, we've talked about this before. You don't watch much anime, but it reminds me of various kinds of like sports anime. That sports comparison is good, of where everything just kind of builds up to the tournament or to the competition. That moment of when two players you know square off—that's all the tension build up, and everything else is just kind of trying to get us to that moment. Don't know if all the show is going to be like that, but a lot of the rest of the show is, I think the word I used, functionals, feels pretty accurate. It's getting us to the point of those really good moments. Um, and I'm curious to see going forward whether it becomes more than that or whether that's just kind of how they structure these.
0: And you've only watched up to episode two, right? You have not watched the whole I am, series? I am
1: trying to do this as it goes, yes.
0: Uh, okay, because I have watched the whole thing. And I'll tell you, here's my thought on the episode. It is a setup episode. When I first watched it... I thought after this episode, in particular, I thought, huh, I might be out on the show. Like, I didn't know that I was going to continue. Um, but I heard so much heat about the show. Oh, you have to watch, you have to get through it. And it, you know, unfortunately, a lot of shows fall into that thing where you say, just keep watching and i know i I know that annoys people right it's like why am i going to watch an episode of tv i didn't particularly enjoy to get to one that i do enjoy well i'm sorry that's just how it works sometimes there's a bad chapter before a good chapter um not to say this is bad but i don't think if this is all the show is if episode two is representative of everything that queen's gambit is going to be i don't think we hear about the queen's gambit i don't think we're doing it on Mm -hmm. Mangum talks tv i think it's very much a setup episode i'd give it maybe a five and a half out of ten six out of Mm ten Um, But rest assured, dear viewer uh, and listener uh, and Spencer, it does get better.
1: (laughs) It's such an interesting conversation to have about the it gets better suggestion or comment on a show. Of where I feel like that was an easier sell back before we had 800 shows on television at any given moment.
0: That's a very good point. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's like, well, why am I going to watch something? Yeah, that, very good point, Spencer, because there's like a billion other things I could be watching. And no one, if you follow TV as closely as you and I do, nobody is watching everything they want to be watching.
1: No. We have a long list that we eventually hope to get to, and those lists just keep getting longer.
0: But this one does fall into a category where I would say like to, like to you like you, somebody who like knows tv really well and watches really quality television i would say i understand the impulse to just pull the plug on something when people say well just keep watching but this is one i firmly place it in that you have to keep watching category right
1: and that's why you know friend or you know expert guidance like we recommendations are so useful to these kind of things it's like i don't know if you ever watched like the next generation back in the day of where great show one of my favorite shows that's ever made I, I legitimately recommend some of its best moments are some of the best moments on television but you could have a hard time recommending that show in this day and age when the first two seasons straight up suck
0: for it's like, sure it,
1: it's, it is a very hard thing now for a show to start rough particularly because networks nowadays are just inclined to cancel them in, ter- in, ter- in terms of their their rough or ever rough go or not offer continue them for later seasons just because they have so much other material that they can use but I'm happy to hear your endorsement that this gets better and that it's worth it I still thought this was a solid episode I'd probably give it six and a half seven particularly super, some some very good moments that happen in it but the rest is it doesn't feel like a Netflix or an Amazon or those kind of subscription network shows it feels like a solid enough show on network TV.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. It, it doesn't it doesn't seem bingeable to me right away. It is one where if you watch this episode and you set it down and thought, hmm, I don't think I'll go on to episode three, I totally get it. I got it. This is not something that where I feel like it's hooking you. Hang in there, episode three, four, we'll have a different conversation. But alas, we are here for episode two, Exchanges. Before we jump into our recap and segments, Spencer, you do some other pods and I want to hear about them.
1: You know, we're doing this little thing that's called Pottering Around, going through a series you may have heard of. Uh, Have you heard of the Harry Potter series? You know, I hate to assume things about whether you have or haven't had prior experience with them.
0: Big fan, big fan, big fan of the Harry Potter world, big fan of Pottering Around.
1: And I've been legitimately surprised to see that I, as a person who never read the series ever, or even saw more than one and a half of the movies, I don't even know if I've seen a full movie, I think I've seen various parts that I add up to one and a half, how much I am enjoying now doing a very belated nostalgia recap with two people that have actually read the series. We go through each book chapter by chapter. We discuss it. We do segments. We talk about, from my perspective, what a newbie gets out of the series and what a newbie's theories are as they're going through it chapter by chapter. It has been a blast for me. I'm happy to hear our listeners are enjoying it too, and we're happy to continue through it, now through the fourth book, The Goblet of Fire. So we're doing a bit of that, and then on Magnum Reads, we're getting into the Agatha Christie Wars a genre of mystery that we've never actually really done on the po- podcast before i'm looking forward to it and i hope you will too
0: i cannot recommend pottering around enough i've said it before that is the best thing we've done on the Mangum talks podcast channel uh, this is a close second obviously really quality but pottering around is great uh, so check it out and by the way if we have any listeners out there who are thinking oh harry potter never really got into that maybe there's a little bit of that high school i'm too cool for that thing oh this is for kids if you've got any inkling of that and you trust me disabuse yourself of that fucking notion right now harry potter is really cool it's fun Mm -hmm. especially now when you everybody's stuck at home it's a great thing to get engrossed in uh if you've never jumped into the harry potter world i uh firmly recommend that you do so and as you do so um allow spencer pants my wife and uh and bj to talk you through it episode or chapter by chapter
1: i very much agree i mean it's one of those things of where if you miss something that was at a particular age appropriate you know group and you go back to it later in many ways you can appreciate it almost more if you're not just viewing it in the moment of that particular age group lens if you're like an adult that's looking back at a good work of child fiction there's so much more you can get out of it than you necessarily even would have at the time and that's what i'm really seeing now so If you missed it, if it it passed you by, if it wasn't your social scene, I'd encourage you to give it a try just for how much it is part of the world nowadays and how much it can still be a magical journey even though you are far removed from the ages of the characters.
0: For sure. 100% percent cosign. But the matter at hand today is episode two of Queen's Gambit Titled Exchange. We will start with a recap. We will go to our segments. Segments include best line of the episode. I and I alone am emperor of best line of the episode. Spencer will give inputs though. Then we will cut to best scene of the episode this is kind of a a new segment for us on the mega tv uh podcast channel uh but we we kind of decided that this is very much a show of vignettes and yes. it made sense to to have this new segment best scene so we're gonna we're gonna go through that one as well um that one's more of a collaborative um segment where spencer and i will both choose that jointly and then we will cut to my favorite part of the episode spencer's wikipedia spiral the episode spencer do you have some wikipedia spirals for us this week
1: i got some material for you i got some things to talk about I got some things you need to hear
0: exciting all right let's jump into the recap so we will start with a flashback jolene and beth are recapping Beth's escapades with the benzodiazepines jolene very funny line here i bet it felt good what are you gonna to do tonight what are you gonna do at night <laughs> so that so all of those sweet summer children who's never done a Benzo before uh, Benzos absolutely help you sleep and you get reliant upon them for sleep very very quickly oh, yeah. and it's very clear that um, Beth needed them to sleep or at least you know she felt like she needed them to sleep so Jolene asking very pertinent question there. Beth's response which I thought was really solid I'm gonna stay up as long as I can reading my book learning the Sicilian defense there's 57 pages about it in the book with 170 lines stemming from B to QB4, I'm going to memorize them and play them all in my mind. Beth Harmon calling her shot, Spencer, it, calling it, it, her it, it, shot. This is Babe Ruth pointing to the to the right, uh, the right right, <laughs> right side right of the well, green monster there at Fenway.
1: Yep, and it's great. She already has her dedication. She already has her motivation. She already knows she's not going to sleep for a long damn time until she just passes out. But I also do love her friend's response of where she hears this, just kind of stares for a second and says, poor mind. It's like, okay, Whew. genius brain. I would burn out halfway through that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like some of the conversations that you and I have where I'm like, Spencer, what are you going to do tonight? And you're like, well, I'm going to do this brief and I'm going to do this other thing and I'm going to be up till four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, hmm, oh, poor mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you do you. You know, best of luck.
0: <laughs> but I will say this. Um, Jolene... Would love to have Jolene as a friend. Um, I yeah. think she's a great friend. I think she's hilarious. And I'm going to go ahead and say that um, pound for pound, the strongest character on the show, for sure.
1: Are we going to get to see more of her going forward? You who have watched more of this show? Because, you know, we leave the orphanage in this episode. And it, I'll be curious to see whether we return to aspects of, her, of that, of those aspects of her life later.
0: In um, a rare later. moment of tipping my hand, very rare moment. I'm going to answer that question. I would not be focusing on Jolene as much as I did uh, if we do not get more Jolene. Uh, cut to Beth walking up to Mr. Scheibel, who's finally doing work. <laughs> we talked about this on the last episode. <laughs> does Mr. Scheibel do anything? Well, he's on a ladder and he looks to be changing a light bulb. So Mr. Scheibel doing work. Uh, she tells him they won't let her play anymore, that she's being punished. Um, and she's asking him for help. Mr. Scheibel sighs. He does not respond. She says, she wishes she could play more with him, and she walks away. And I will say this about this scene: that is the sweetest, most sincere, and tugging at your heartstrings that you're ever going to get from our girl Beth Harmon. Beth Harmon, not an emotive person, um, no. but this thing saying "I wish I could play more with you" really is uh, really is poignant, very sweet, uh, and about as much as you get of that from that character
1: it's something that Mr. Scheibel knows her well enough at this point that he knows how important a statement that was from her. Yep. That he knows that she doesn't have that much of an emotive range, and the fact that she's willing to tell him that, to ask him for help, to say that to him, means a lot to him. Though he, I think you would agree, he's clearly received instructions that you do not talk with her anymore.
0: hmm Yep. Then we have a blast of opening credits. We cut back to the recap. The orderly comes in. Do you know this orderly's name? Guy who's just dressed I, in all white.
1: I, I've not written it down.
0: I can look it up while you're talking. Yeah, I, I hate to just call him an orderly because he is in like a couple scenes in two episodes, but I don't know his name. But he comes in and he pushes Jolene to get up as she might miss breakfast. Jolene pulls out a cigarette. That is the first hint that we might be in a different timeline. Uh, Jolene looks over, says, Morning Cracker. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, Beth gets up and voila, Spencer, we have older Beth. So we are now firmly out of the timeline of young Beth. Um, We have older Beth, which is played by Anna Taylor-Joy, who is enjoying a skyrocket ship to fame uh, based on her performance here in the show. We did see older Beth in the very first scene of the first episode when she was in the hotel room in Paris that was just littered with liquor bottles that she was trying to get up and get ready for chess. And this is Anna Taylor-Joy again. We get older Beth in this timeline. And we see that older Beth is still in the orphanage. So Beth stayed in the orphanage for a very long time. I mean, you're talking five, six years she was probably in this place. Uh,
1: I think think she says later that she's uh, 15 now.
0: 13, 13. uh,
1: Yes, yes, 13, 13, uh, totally. 13, Um,
0: Spencer, 13.
1: (laughs) I understand now. Uh, There clearly has been a large passage in time that she's had here. Question, by the way. Is Jolene sick here? No, I don't think so. Jo, both Jolene and another character we get later, there are some indications that they seem a little bit off in terms of their health. I just wasn't as clear with Jolene as it is more apparent with the other character.
0: I don't think jo, that Jolene's sick here, no. I, 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 I didn't pick that up. Uh, what was your hint that she was sick?
1: She's moving slow, she's staying in bed, uh, she looks a little bit pale. There's a couple of things where it just could have been she woke up and felt bad. But I just wasn't sure. It's more apparent for another character we're going to talk about later, but wasn't sure whether they are going to go that route with Jolene in the future,
0: too. I kind of thought it was just her being a typical teenager who just doesn't want to get up in the morning, but that, that's just how I took that.
1: That is very possible, yes.
0: Uh, Jolene um, asks Beth if she wants to enjoy another delicious breakfast. It's facetious, obviously. They look out the window together and they see a car coming up. It's interesting how they were able to make the same actress here, Anna Taylor Joy, look much younger in this scene than she looks in the scenes where it's modern, you know, modern day, um, and she's an adult playing chess. Um, so, so just keep that in the back of your mind because, in my opinion, they have done a great job to make her look seven, eight years. The same actress looks seven, eight years younger than she does in other scenes.
1: It really shows how effective uh, hair and clothes are in terms of how old you look or how mature you look because. I agree. That we've seen already that they're gonna actively portray her, I'm guessing in her like twenties in terms of the first scene that we saw her. Mid to late, movie.
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Uh whereas here she's selling fifteen pretty well. I mean it's there's some Dawson casting, it's obviously an effect, but it's it looks pretty authentic.
0: Yeah. Cut to Beth walking into a room and the orderly says she's late. She passes uh he passes Beth a headband and says they seem like nice people. This is a really great moment here because it does seem like when there's a chance that one of these girls are going to get adopted, right? Somebody has come in and they're interested in one of the girls. It seems like this whole team effort because the orderly is handing her the headband, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we get into um, the the room, the head of the orphanage is straight up lying to these people about <laughs> Beth, about her age. That was a joke I played earlier. Beth says, oh, I'm 15. And she's, oh, 13, 13, 13, 13. Um, And the lady puts on a hard sell for Beth with Beth standing right there about how smart she is. And she's the head of her class in math. And and that's probably true, knowing what we know about Beth's mind. But it is interesting how we're getting a sense of this full on everybody on deck to try to get somebody adopted that happens at this place.
1: Sir, are you suggesting a proper Christian institution that exists for training young ladies in the ministrations of life might be engaging in chicanery and lying for the for that purpose
0: i do your honor i do <laughs> i absolutely do it does seem like they they, they just kind of they, they will just straight up lie uh yeah, the they're, they're they're used up lie. Car,
1: they are they are the used car salesmen of children.
0: Oh, God. Oh, what a way to put an orphanage. My God, Spencer. Gut punches. I'm here for that. Uh, Then she leaves Beth with the couple. They call you Elizabeth or is it Betty? Ugh. So this is going well.
1: We don't get good reads from... What what was the name of the father figure? Um, I'm blanking on it right now. Uh,
0: I only know the woman, Alma. Uh...
1: I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. Also, Mr. Ferguson was the name of the orderly, by the way. Alston, oh, nice. Al- Alston Wheatley is the name
0: Alston. of the... Uh... Mr. Wheatley, that's right. We have Wheatley. Yeah, Mr. Yeah.
1: Wheatley. Uh, he's... At the, the initial meeting, He's like, when he's talking with the, you know, the headmistress, he's at least polite and he's nodding. Moment they get in the car, it drops. It's like, he clearly does not want to be here. This was clearly not his idea. And he's barely even making an effort to go through the motions to make this comfortable for all involved.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um... Cut to the headmaster walking back. She greets Beth. You should go back. Um, I think that... I took that to mean you should go back in the room, right? And talk to these people some more?
1: Uh, I guess, yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah. Cut to Beth preparing her... Um, at, her at her bed, um, pre- preparing her things, and she can't find her book. Jolene, which book are you talking about? You read like a hundred. <laughs> Beth, modern chess openings. Whoop, whoop. Let's go to... A little bit of a digression into modern chess openings usually called the MCO as a reference book on chess openings first published in 1911 by the British players Richard Gluen Griffin uh, and John Herbert White it is still very much in rotation for chess players and is viewed as one of the probably top ten books that if you want to get into chess you need to to have at your disposal
1: and like so many other chess reference guides, it has been consistently updated over the years. I think we're in like some like the 21st edition of that book now. Yeah. Sure. Um, and notably important for this one. It's not just that it's a useful book. It is. It's also that it was a gift from Mr. Scheibel. Yep. And it as even for very, you know,
0: emotionally cold Beth, that's a book that has sentimental value. For sure. I mean, all, all of her worldly possessions can fit under a bed. And so if yeah, she's, been gift, she's been given a gift, she's been given a gift. From somebody she likes, who has taught her this thing that she seems to really love, chess. Um, and it's something that is useful in playing chess. So you can imagine this is probably one of her most prized possessions. So she's really looking for that book. Um, Jolene says she doesn't know where it is. Beth seems. To, we, we, then we get a sense that Beth seems to be packing. So I guess it went well with the couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like Beth may be headed out of there, getting adopted. Jolene tells her she doesn't need any book. She should just say, yes, sir, and yes, man. Maybe they'll put a TV in her room. Beth. Jolene, I'm sorry, for what? That you didn't get adopted. Shit, I make out just fine here. And then, very rare moment here from Jolene. She turns over, and the look we get, a, we get the look on her face as she turns over in the bed. Very clear that she is not a hundred percent okay here.
1: No, she's not a person that. One of my, my main character traits is that she's not a person to show weakness. She is not ever gonna mm-hmm. show that kind of moment of vulnerability with anybody. Even because it was clearly like her best friend. Calling
0: people cocksuckers as she's being dragged to the yes. bathroom to get her mouth washed out with soap. Jolene doesn't play around, so folks.
1: But there have been a couple moments, like last episode, when she complained about how, you know, if you're too old or too black, yeah. you're not gonna get adopted. She's still human. She's still very much hurt by this. This is still an open wound for her. And now that she's losing to amount to one of her main bits of her support network, I'm sure she's struggling quite a bit in the side. Well, this
0: is a particularly tough scene for a uh, situation for her, too, because yeah, she's not getting adopted. That's got a smart. She's been there forever. Um, she's probably been passed over god knows how many times, but now her best friend in the world is leaving as well.
1: It, I mean, Joey's probably like almost 18 now, right? Yeah, she's old, she was older than Beth when they she's
0: told. over 16 because she's smoking.
1: Were that, were that, was that Kentucky law at the time?
0: I think so, yeah
1: Probably, yeah uh, it, She's probably about ready for them to say Okay, you need to leave now yeah, maybe, off we'll on you own. An, maybe we'll get you an internship somewhere Or you know, put you in a home in some way But she's very soon going to leave the confines of Methuen And it's going to be off on her own in the world
0: Cut to Beth leaving with the family As Beth is leaving She sees Mr. Scheibel is watching her go Very sweet scene there yeah. uh, Mr. Scheibel came out for the, for the send-off Great music playing here. It seems to be the first, um, the first part of a concerto, I believe, um, mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm hearing it correctly. Uh, Beth launches it, a lot, a of, lot of major chords, and that's a that's a thing we see in this uh, the score of this episode a lot. A lot of major chords because it's driving, um, it's pushing forward. The music mm-hmm. is, um, which I think um, dovetails well with what's going on in the show. It's it's pushing scenes forward, a lot of progress, a lot of positivity um in this in this episode more so than we get in a lot of other episodes spoiler alert so what you're getting is a lot of a lot of a lot of progression a lot of a lot of positive major chord progressions a lot of concertos in the in the score beth watches uh go ahead
1: I think that's one thing it's good to highlight that because that is one thing i do want to compliment is that the music here is not flashy it is not dominating scenes but it's an excellent build and provides an excellent sense of emotion for scenes mm-hmm. um and that, that's done very well not all music has to you know control the scene that it's in if it just sets up a mood and emphasizes it that's quite effective too
0: you know a lot of like major chord arpeggios like come kind of in the background um that is it, that just driving and pushing pushing everything forward uh, Beth watches as they pull into a very ordinary looking 1960s American street. Um, everyone has their own home. All the houses are well manicured. Spencer, it's little boxes, little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made out of tiki tack, little boxes all the same.
1: It excellently said so. What? I love the reference.
0: Beth comes in to the home and it's, I'm going to say this, uh, not a big, uh, to everybody, if anybody who knows me knows this, if they know nothing about me, they know this. I'm not a wallpaper guy. Mm-hmm. Lee is not a wallpaper guy, <laughs> but I will say this is a pretty darn nice 1960s home.
1: Yeah, and one thing I noticed when they are going through this home, because we get a we get a tour, we a tour the master bedroom, the bathroom, her own room. Focus on that in a minute. Um, but I love how in 1950s homes, and that it's really a style of kind of banded. They're really content to have each room look different, like different wallpaper in each room, different colors everywhere. It's a shocking collage of various things. We don't really seem to favor that as much anymore. We're much more like Everything is the same color uniform throughout homes.
0: And there's a TV and a grand piano that comes in play later. The mother explains that she loves animals, but the husband is allergic and so she can't have them. She then shows Beth to her own room, which is upstairs during this whole scene. The husband is completely ignoring them. This guy seems he like even, a real fucker.
1: He even interrupts her when she talks about the animals. Yeah. It's like she's talking to the animals, but he can't because he's allergic. And she, he coughs the interrupter. He's like, don't talk about that.
0: Oh, it just seems like a real pill. Um, but Beth does see her room and ask, is this mine? Is this whole room mine? She seem seemingly can't believe it. Um, the door closes and Beth says to herself, home sweet home. In, yeah.
1: I mean, in terms of the various places she could be settled, this looks pleasant. Yeah. Yeah, this is a nice home with what appears to be at least one person that cares and one person that is already so indifferent, it's really uncomfortable.
0: Well, you got one disengaged parent and one parent who's suffer, suffering from substance abuse issues. So it's not not too far out from just standard American fare, right? <laughs> it's a, yes, it's 60% sure. of America. Um,
1: <laughs> what, what is our nation?
0: Uh, maybe 40. I don't know. But it's it's the experience a lot of people have, right? Um, yeah, it is. Cut to Beth waking up, and she overhears the husband is leaving, and Alma doesn't seem to like it. I'm going to keep calling him the husband because I didn't know his name when I was doing this.
1: That's all he merits.
0: Um, Yeah, I I don't think he's like a particularly named character. They they don't focus on his name very much. (laughs) He's he's, he's
1: gone this episode. I'm guessing we're probably not going to
0: see him again either. Yeah, uh, the husband throws in uh, that she can get to know Beth, although he doesn't suspect there is much to know. She stays pretty quiet. Um, Yeah, I don't know why you're throwing shade on the poor girl right away. I mean, of course she's quiet she's brand new to this place she's got adopted from an orphanage what do you expect her to be chatty my god Um, as Beth comes downstairs the mother is playing the piano Beth asks where he went and she says that it's a business trip uh, and as he likes to remind her it keeps a roof over their heads Uh, she then asks Beth to stop gawking Beth comments that she's very good at the piano Alma explains that she's played since she was very young she explains that she also had stage fright so I guess she never really played in public very much Um, and then she got pregnant Beth asks if they have a child, Alma, yes, we did. Hmm.
1: And I like that there's no further explanation there. I like that that's just left, left hanging. That feels a lot more realistic that they just don't immediately go into that store right now. He,
0: whatever it is, it is an open world. And very realistic from Beth that she would be astute enough to not ask more questions about that. Um, yeah. Beth not a chatty person i would not say she's a she's an extro- extrovert by any stretch of the imagination but she does seem to know when there's a wound when somebody's struggling with something and uh and she stops talking about it and i would say she probably got trained on that at the orphanage right because the, a lot of the girls were struggling with a lot of things and she probably learned how to talk to people about difficult subjects it, it, it's an
1: important thing to print for Beth. Beth, you know, has some difficulty in social interaction, but it's not because she's not aware. It's more that she just normally doesn't have time. Yeah. Everything, she's, she's going so much faster than everybody else. She has her own goals. She has her own accomplishments. So she doesn't have time for the politeness in terms of a lot of inter, a lot of interactions. But when she's one-on-one like this, she reads people pretty well.
0: Agreed. After a long pause, uh, Alma says, Are you hungry? We have a leftover casserole. Man, Spencer! Woo! Does it get more 1960s than that right there? Leftover casserole for breakfast.
1: I'm with it. You know me. I'm eating the same casserole I made four days ago, and it's
0: good. Unbelievable. That's like the most 1960s thing ever. We're going to eat leftover (laughs) casserole for breakfast. Uh, Beth then takes off to go to school, walking down the street of every town in America. That's what I'm going to call where they're living now. Great Mm -hmm. piano piece playing here, rushing major chords. Uh, driving music with violins backing it up. Really enjoyed the score there in that scene. Beth gets to a classroom, and it's interesting um, the way they've dressed Beth up, right, and the way she acts. Um, she just seems like a little bit different than everybody else in the room. Um, um, I don't know if you called, no, you had that feeling or not.
1: Very much so. And they fo- and they focus on you know we talked before about how important you know your hair and your clothes are in terms of how you present yourself to others and how you are perceived by them. They focus on various aspects of it. They focus on the very stylish haircuts of each of the girls. They zoom down and how all the girls have the same matching black and white Oxford shoes. She clearly is a standout just because she is dressed like someone from a bit of a bygone, non non trendy era.
0: Yeah, and we are in math class, and the teacher says they are going to study the binomial theorem. She asks me, "My nose, binomial is pause, pause, beat, beat, Beth." raises her hand. The binomial is a mathematical expression containing two terms. X plus Y is a binomial. Meth, Beth is good at math, ladies and gentlemen. Very good. Not surprising. Spencer, did you know what a binomial was? I, I did,
1: yes. And I thought Beth did an excellent way of summarizing what it was.
0: Man, you really, you're really hanging on to those SAT answers. I, They're I just <laughs> completely out of sight, out of mind in my, for it, me.
1: Uh, it, it's... Can I just, you know, I'm going to say this once and probably never say it again. This is the least Kentucky Kentucky ever. No one sounds like they're from Kentucky. The only way we know this is Kentucky is that the Kentucky State Championship occurs there.
0: And let me say this. As someone who grew up in the South, in a very rural area of the South, I appreciate the fact they don't try to do the Southern accents or the Kentucky accents.
1: (laughs) Just because how bad they would be.
0: Uh, Hollywood does a lot of things right one thing they do not do right is the southern accent at all it when they try to get actors who don't who are not from the south to do a southern accent it is absolutely atrocious and it's a, one of my pet peeves as i'm watching shows because you wouldn't know it hearing me but i grew up with a very very thick southern accent when i got to college um i figured out that that was i wasn't the smartest guy um so i had to do what i could to get ahead and one of the ways i figured i could get ahead was to ditched the Southern accent because that put me behind the curve with everybody I talked to. But when I first got to college, mentor, you I don't even think you know this. I had a very thick Southern accent. Coastal
1: coastal North Carolina
0: Southern too. Yeah. Kind of weird saying um, things like uh, over deer. Uh, yeah, it's pick, a very unique pick, accent. Over deer, pick it up deer, um, stuff like that. Um, completely cut it because I figured everybody would just, I would get off on the wrong foot with everybody with that Southern accent. But anyway, small no, diatribe no, no. about myself, but... I will say, I'm glad they're not trying to do the Kentucky accent here. I think it would have been a complete shit show.
1: I'm with you. And, you know, it's something that's actually fairly common among uh, Southerners that are not operating in different circles, is that we engage in a certain amount of code switching. Like, I'm from Charlotte. My accent is actually fairly mild when it comes to Southern. But if I'm, like, you know, around, like, rural Gastonia or people that have a Southern accent, my more natural accent really starts to flow quickly. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, like you said... Southern accents are so often done wrong just because the, everybody forgets how very regional and unique each of them are. Mm-hmm. If you have, like, you and I notice right away that if you have a character that's in Louisiana and somebody's coming in with, like, a Virginia Southern accent, it stands out like a
0: sore thumb. For sure. And you even talked about, you know, coastal Southern accents, how they're different. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so it just wouldn't have done, it wouldn't have worked out well at all, I don't think.
1: I agree i'm just amused that they didn't even make the effort it caught me almost almost caught me off guard that it it kind of associates like an ass an aspect of fantasy associated with the series that it's purposely being unfixed they're trying to make it more this is generic 19 19 early 1960s actually uh, town in america rather than it is necessarily generic 1960s kentucky town in america
0: in the cafeteria beth doesn't know where to sit uh she first sees the the table of Mean Girls, uh, they make it clear uh, through their looks <laughs> not, and their how they're posturing that she can't sit there. So she goes and sits on her own. And I don't know if you caught what she's eating there, Spencer, but it looks like cafeteria pizza.
1: It is classic cafeteria Ugh. pizza. Yes. We,
0: did you did you we we like that it. sheet pan cafeteria pizza, that like Totino's esque thing?
1: Did did we have a choice? Because good lord, were they foisting on us at all times? That that is my primary memory from elementary school is that there was always the square, like little sprinkled pepperonis, cap, uh, cafeteria pizza that they were serving us.
0: Oop! Diatribe. Uh, quick question for you, Spencer. When you were in grade school, so this is just high school, uh, yeah. and, and middle and middle school, I'll say, um, was there a cafeteria lunch that you particularly got excited for? Yes. What was there it? Was.
1: Uh, for me, I always... And see, <laughs> maybe this is indicative of my kind of personality, but I enjoyed the kind of like stews or like the gravies and stuff that they would do every now and then. If, like they put stuff on like mashed potatoes which they'd serve every now and then, or rice. I I would enjoy that.
0: Oh, okay. So anything in like a, maybe like a chicken fried steak or like a meatloaf oh, yeah. or something like that?
1: You, you, you give me gravy, they would do that. They could, they could do that pretty well. The pizza stuff was... I keep on using the word functional, but that is all you can do to describe that square pizza they would serve us back in school. I
0: was a big uh, big chicken sandwich and hamburger guy. Um, That's what what I was always looking for. Um, Anyway, back to the recap. Someone sits near Beth, and Beth asks her if there's a chess club at school. The girl responds, no, I don't think so. The girl doesn't even... uh, It seems like she might not even know what chess is, Uh, but she does move over. She says, a lot of girls belong to social clubs. There is the Apple Pie Club. Beth ask if they bake pies and she's like no apple like pi like the greek letter mm-hmm. um which beth seems about as interested in as i would be um
1: she she doesn't roll her eyes but you can tell she boy, wants to
0: man it's close back home alma is vacuuming and the husband comes in and she goes, shit and starts running upstairs because uh, she doesn't have a dress on she comes downstairs she says she didn't expect him home for another week she goes to kiss him and he kind of leans away um doesn't, doesn't look like a great relationship there. He then says he'll take a beer if there are any left.
1: Dude, why? Whew. Just You just got back home and you're casting that kind of shade.
0: And when he says that, Alma just bristles. Um, first, I think that might be the first inclination here that Alma um, has a little bit of an issue with some of the substances. Um, he then wonders out loud if she ever changes clothes. Talking about Beth. Um, Beth, as he walks upstairs, Beth then says, I don't think he likes me very much. Alma then claims that they adopted her because that was his idea. Spencer, do you believe that?
1: Yes, but not for a reason that he wanted her. I think he wanted to shut his wife up.
0: Yep. I think he wanted to give like, here's my, my guess. Here's a puppy. I think they lost a child. She was depressed and he said, well, why don't you just adopt one?
1: Both. That very good call. Very much that. Throw in a mix of, I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to yep. interact with you. Mm-hmm. So here's something, somebody else that you can do that with. I think he even refers to her as your companion at one point.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: it, it, it is not a, I wanted a child. It's, I wanted peace away from you.
0: She then says, well, he kind of has a point. You could use some new clothes. Cut to Alma and Beth getting off a bus. And they are going to a department store. This is Ben Snyder's. Spencer, did, did you know about Ben Snyder's?
1: i did not know about ben
0: snyder's is it a real place it was a real place a department store in the 1960s and originated in louisville kentucky so very apropos good work folks who are writing this show um but it's your classic 1960s 1970s department store they sold every fucking thing in it there's like multiple floors (laughs) it was like a whole city block and that's where everybody everybody that's where everybody went to go get everything except for food
1: it's really a, It is no longer a store that exists No Those kinds of things can't be found Maybe Even like a Costco or something has a vague You know Similarity to it But not really at all
0: The um, only place you see it Is in really large cities That still have them Like if you When you go to <clears throat> To New York And you check out the Macy's Sure but that, that, It still not, is like the six floors With every fucking thing Under the sun in it yeah,
1: But it's an institution that size can survive, but it's almost still just surviving as a, as a novelty. It's like, you know, there couldn't be a New York without a Macy's kind of thing. They've oh, got sure. a reputation or brand that keeps them going. Whereas yeah. you just tried to open one of those now. Well, opening any store now would be a fool's errand, but it, it we've gone past them. We've seen like stores have specialized since. But I, I, I do love, like you said about the multiple floors, how they go into the bowels of this store to find her stuff. Like they go up to the... The very top or the very bottom floor, uh, where, where they go to find her, the most bargain basement items they possibly can.
0: And let me talk to the kids out there because we got a lot of kids listening. So, sure. kids, um, when you hear department store, <clears throat> this is what this is a physical store. So this place you had to go. I know, strange. And me. it is it is the physical store of Amazon. So whenever you go, <laughs> oh, I'll just get that on Amazon. Back then, they went, oh, I'll just go to Ben Snyder's. That's what it is.
1: And you know what the magical advancement they had at that time? They had instantaneous delivery. Even faster than drone delivery. It was immediately put in a bag, and you took it home.
0: It's strange. It was actually right there for you. Uh, But that's Ben Snyder's. Uh, Back to the recap. Beth is looking around, and she sees the shut set. But Alma says they can stop on the way back down to your point. They're going upstairs to the, the sail rack. And uh, they're looking for some clothes for Beth. Beth doesn't seem into this process at all. But Alma is getting her blouses, new shoes, and a coat. As they walk back, Beth asks about the chest sets. Alma says, ah, I I, I, no, no time. I'm getting hungry. I was really frustrated with Alma in this scene, by the way. Get her a fucking chest set. My God.
1: She's not asking for much here. <sighs> I think she, she offers her the classic parent compromise of where, oh, I'll give you an allowance and you'll be able to get it yourself later. You know, teach you the value of money rather than getting you just a nice present right now.
0: Yeah, and and Beth could have used a uh, Spencer. Could have used a lawyer in that situation. You're going to give me 40 cents a week. Write that shit down. Let's sign on the dotted line. Let's make sure I get that 40 cents. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, cut to Beth at school. She's at her locker room. One of the girls walks by very close. Almost like a little, um, uh, little, like, 1980s teen movie there. You know, the walk by push, you know, into the locker move. This seems to anger Beth. And then she walks to the library and asks the librarian if they have any books on chess. The librarian says, ah, I don't think so. Uh, no. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we do, uh, it's over there. And if we have anything, it would maybe be a biography on Jose Capablanca." Mm-hmm. Um. Whoops, let's do a little diversion here. Who is Jose Raúl Capablanca? He was a Cuban and Spanish chess player. He's a world chess champion. From 1921 to 1927, that is a big run, my friend. Six straight years, strong run. This was pre-Russians taking everything over. This was back before. Yeah, yeah, this was before when non-Russians could actually win. He was a chess (laughs) prodigy. He was kicking ass and taking names at age seven, eight, nine, and is widely renowned for his exceptional in-game skill and speed of play. So he is a very, 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 very cubed to the 10th power advanced type of chess player that i am which is if you play me in chess it's not gonna last long uh the queen's coming out i'm attacking i'm going big boy and that's kind of how jose capablanca played he hit you in the mouth early and he tried to end it
1: yeah and he has been widely influential on in players that have come since like you know between bobby fisher and uh, kasparov all of them have cited that he was a profound inspiration as well as his books i mean not just biographies his book um Chess Fundamentals is really regarded as an excellent book of learning how to play chess and learning how to get better at chess. Isn't that, is that the book she ultimately finds in the rack?
0: She does. She finds an autobiography of Jose Capablanca. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beth comes back and asks the librarian who that is. The librarian explains that he was grandmaster. Beth, what's a grandmaster? A genius player. Beth then finds that autobiography of Jose Capablanca. She then sees two kids making out in the row next to her. And I will venture to say a little bit more than just making out. I mean, the runner, the, the ball is off the shortstop's glove, going into left field, <laughs> rounding first, and going into second base, ladies and gentlemen.
1: They are firmly into second base, yes. And I say firmly pointedly there. Um, but, it, yeah, they're there. And it's this isn't a big library either. I mean, like. She walked to that part of the library in like a few quick steps. People are hearing this.
0: Yeah, the girl doesn't seem to care because the girl says, okay, yeah, I see you, Harmon. It's those shoes. Did you get them at Ben Snyder's or something? Oh, I wouldn't be caught dead in Ben Snyder's. I, this is something. All right, kids. Uh, Uncle, Uncle Lee's got another thing for you here. So uh, along with explaining Ben Snyder's as the real life brick and mortar Amazon, I would like to offer another bit of advice for you out there. Um, if you, if you know where a kid has gotten their clothes or shoes, do not call it out and then say that whatever that store is or whatever that website is, is trash. Just don't do it. Don't do it ever. It's a mean thing to do. Um, it's, it's bad. It's a bad look here from, from girl who's getting her, her chest rubbed, uh, in the library. And, uh, it's just not, not something you should ever do. It's life lessons with uncle Lee.
1: I feel like we're being really tropey with respect to these scenes of where they really want to give you what is viewed as like the classic Americana experience of unpleasant high school times with boys it's like we're we're checking a lot of boxes of like you said classic 1980s movies in high school
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's like Pretty in Pink and Pink and all those things um, Beth comes up and starts to go upstairs how's school fun uh, this is this is Beth, Beth at home uh, Alma is drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon Spencer Have a little history with a PAPS blue ribbon. Um, It is the cheapest beer you could possibly acquire in college. Well, it competes.
1: It competes for being the cheapest beer you can acquire in college and has survived into the 21st century because of that and hipsters.
0: It's certainly in that league. Alma says exercise could do her good and ask her to go out and buy her three packs of Chesterfields. Spencer, did you know what Chesterfields were? Did you have to look it up?
1: I had to look it up. They sounded familiar, but I had to look it up to confirm.
0: Yeah, old school cigarette. Um, no longer in circulation anymore. However, when I Googled them, I did find that you could buy some, some old Chesterfield, some vintage Chesterfields out there. If you, uh, if you're a collector, Collectors. uh, Beth says, yes, ma'am. Alma says she'll write her a note. Apparently that's good enough to get cigs when underage back then. That is kind of a funny, <laughs> funny little thing to throw in is that like, you could just like send your kid to go get you like cigarettes or liquor and you could just like write a note that says, Hey, this is re- I'm really asking this. Sign your name. And apparently that's good enough.
1: And he doesn't even like call the parent to confirm or anything either. It's just like, "Eh, well, there's a note. Nobody can fake this. I shall give you cigarettes and hereafter barbiturates. Enjoy.
0: Unbelievable. Beth takes off to the corner store. Beth goes up to the counter. The guy reads a note, gives her a side eye, gets the cigarettes. Beth goes to the magazine rack, sees a chess magazine. The second time this episode where Beth is seeking out chess material. Uh, Theme music plays in the background arpeggio there for you right in the background a man says she has to buy the magazine or put it back so she walks out but beth has an idea she realizes you know what i got a nickel i can get a paper she goes back in she gets the paper while getting the paper whoop snags the magazine throws the paper away on the way back home our girl beth Harmon has hs magazine uh, when she gets inside, she starts reading her magazine. Alma is complaining that she doesn't have much money. So apparently, Alma is on like a, um, she, man, she is a 1960s Health Wife 2AT. She's on like some sort of like allowance from the husband. Yeah.
1: And from Methuen, apparently, too.
0: And she says she has $7 and that's not enough to make it till the end of October. Beth asks if she gets a check for having her. Um, and Alma dismisses it as not enough money that's a really tough like that that went quickly spencer but that one really made me shudder because you know beth was trying to be helpful i think she's like oh i I thought you get some money for having me and she's oh that that that, like that's enough Mm -hmm. and that that just that's a tough answer because i think if beth was at all thinking she might be a burden on this family that's going to reinforce that feeling
1: yeah, it's, it's a rough moment, for her. She, she's trying to find her own home, so the idea that she may actually be a leech upon them is clearly not something she wants to hear to feel comfortable in this place.
0: But our girl Beth Harmon is not one to sit and wallow in self-pity. Not no. at all. She's got a problem in front of her. What does Beth Harmon do? She tries to solve said problem. She offers to wash dishes. All my guess is they want to, she wants to buy clothes with them, but Beth explains what she really wants is enough money to enter a chess tournament. They are entry fees. Alma says, the only girls who work her age are colored. Beth then writes, Mr. Scheibel, Mr. Scheibel coming back. The ultimate hero of this series. Explains her situation. She makes a deal. If he sends her the $5 entry fee, she'll send back $10. if She wins any prize money at all. Spencer, you're not a betting man. We've covered this on the Magna Talks TV uh, podcast before. I will tell you, though, there's a phrase. There's something in the betting world that describes this situation. Easy money, my friend. Easy money. That's the easiest five dollars you'll ever make, Mister Shy. We'll send that girl five bucks, and you will get your ten. I can promise you that. Easy money. Leave it on the board.
1: You know, it's nowadays we think you know five dollars. What does that really cost? Whatever else. That's it. It's 1963. That's not an insignificant amount. Oh, of money that's probably nine.
0: like that's probably like thirty bucks right now, right? Somewhere uh, maybe, around that, twenty-five, thirty. Maybe
1: even maybe even more than that. We're talking like a period of where the average, you know. Household income was like five thousand bucks.
0: Yeah, maybe fifty year. or something like that. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's not. A, I mean, it's not like you know rent money, but it's it's a decent amount of money. But I had absolutely no question in my mind no, that Mr. Scheibel no. was going to send the money. A, because he likes Beth. But B, because he has seen eight-year-old Beth go in and <sighs> wax all of the boys in the high school at one time at, at chess. Mr. Scheibel knows this is the easiest $5 she's ever going to make.
1: Now, this is a massive step up, though. This is a massive step up from, you know, the high school chess club to now the Kentucky State Championship. So, you know, he's confident in her. But it's still an off-chance bet because no. she has not competed that kind of tournament yet.
0: Easy money. It's easy money.
1: <laughs> you've, got, you've got as much confidence as Mr. Scheibel does in her.
0: Absolutely. And- she's just r- obsessively reading modern chess openings. She, she was a prodigy early on. I think I think it's easy money. I would have given that $5. wouldn't even question it, and I would have gone in and written into the budget the other five. I would have been like, I would have already <laughs> planned it for written money, Spencer. That's how confident I am in my girl Beth but Harmon.
1: I love that when he also sends her the money, too, she gets the money a couple scenes later, there's no note. There's no note. There's no card. There's no explanation. It's just in an envelope sent to her. Yep. And... That is so in keeping with the character, mm-hmm. and I like that you know continuity of character they're showing there.
0: If I ever needed money from you, I am fairly certain it would show up as cash in an envelope with no note.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe a couple would have a few blood drops on it. There'd be no questions asked. It'd work out fine.
0: <laughs> Seems apropos. At home, Alma is sick. Okay. This All is what right. I wanted to talk about. You know. Let's let's go ahead and do it. You want to do it now? Let's talk about it. Uh. So, you know, um, I have been around people who have substance abuse issues. I think you have too. Do you think Alma's really sick?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, people who have substance abuse issues often function at a certain state of being kind of sick or being down in various ways, particularly when they're taking tranquilizers on a regular basis, to, you know, manage their mood. We also do know that she has depression issues, period, it seems, you know,
0: but Which it's hard to concerned. untangle that from the substance abuse. It is;
1: They go hand in hand is the point I want to make. Exactly. They, they are coterminous. Um, so there could be any number of issues there. There also could be underlying health issues that are contributing to either of those. I mean, people who are have depression or have substance abuse often have another a lot of other underlying conditions that kind of get wrapped up in the flow. So she has, a, she has something going on. She is clearly sick a lot. The reason for that, we got options.
0: Here's what I will. Notable. Sorry, go ahead.
1: It's it's notable. This is one of the key things they're framing is the. They're framing for us is here's a character. Let's introduce her. Here's the trait we want you to focus on early.
0: I will offer this. Oftentimes, people with substance abuse (laughs) issues, you notice here that this is during the day. Mm -hmm. If they want to use the substance during the day. Will say they're sick as an excuse yeah. to have cover to stay at home and use the substance and not function and participate in society. That's what I thought she was doing because yeah. she immediately says, "Hey Beth, will you fill this prescription for me? I need it right now."
1: That is very true. That is, that is a very possible read on this. It, it, we know that she has substance abuse problems. We see we have both see evidence of that. and We have other characters that you know, including her husband, mock her with respect to aspects of that. Yes to the degree that that is its own cause of problems and the degree that it's covering for others. We do not know at this point, but we do need to note that a key aspect of her character going forward is she has some similar problems to Beth when it comes to substance abuse, maybe to a much more age, aged degree,
0: pretty, pretty pretty unstable here. And then she's asking Beth to fill a prescription. I think these are, I think these are benzos that she's asking to be prescribed to her. And while she's there, um she buy buy herself a coke uh, so almost ah uh, doing you a favor right back at the corner store the guy's filling the prescription she sees uh, uh beth sees another chess magazine with a picture of someone on it spencer did you see the picture of this guy
1: i saw the picture of this guy
0: do, do you know who this actor is
1: i did not know who this is jojan
0: the guy Fuck who plays yes Jojen. Is.
1: Fuck, it is Jojen. The guy Jojen who plays Jojen, Jojen in Game series. of Thrones,
0: if you haven't watched Game of Thrones. That's Jojen. I, got, I, I GOT guy questions podcast. That is Jojen in the flesh. That's the same actor on. The
1: is cover. that is that just a cameo, or is Jojen actually going to be a big character in the series? Jojen
0: is in the series, my friend.
1: Fuck Jojen. Good for this actor.
0: Uh, but he is he is big enough in the chess world, at least in that little part of the world, a uh, little part of the country, that he is on the cover of this chess magazine. But yes, that is the actor He's, who plays Jojen. He, he,
1: He's styling. He's got, he's got some gay from the pic, that kind of picture they have okay, of him. good.
0: Looking very good. Back at home, Alma says she is taking her tranquility medicine. Hmm.
1: Uh-huh. About half as much as she was actually given of the that's, we uh, at the store. I know,
0: That's an interesting thing here that happens because apparently she needs a lot of the tranquility medicine. But she looks at the um, she looks at the bottle and she says, why are they only filling it up to half? And we see that these are the same pills sim- or similar pills that Beth simpler, was getting. Yeah. Uh, at, and, and was exposed to at the orphanage and it looks like Beth has yanked some of the pills
1: not just some I mean th- this is this is fun too this is, this is a, a somewhat diminished but still in the same vein form of uh, Beth just taking the entire jar with her where she doesn't like take a couple handfuls a handful off the top she takes more than half the bottle before she delivers it
0: well you know she probably does not know when she'll be able to get more so she is going to yeah She's going to push it as far as she can go. Um, that night, high on pills, Beth looks at the ceiling and there's a bed awning. Hmm. Well, that's not helpful. She, it, it. this is, this is someone who's fucked up, right? Because you can take the bed awning down. That's an option. What does she choose to do? Rip it in half. Yeah. Uh, she tears opening the awning to look at the ceiling and lo and behold, she sees the chest pieces moving. On the ceiling. So Spencer, you were right in our last episode when you, uh, you said best scene of the episode should be Beth looking at the ceiling and seeing the, the chess pieces moving because in your estimation, that was going to be a big for, thing for her. That was how she was going to study basically um, or get reads on certain situations when she's playing chess. And you were right, my friend.
1: I figured it would be a recurring motif just because it was so interestingly well done. I figured they wouldn't want to just do that as a one-off and abandon it. They'd found something too good to not repeat.
0: Next day at school, the popular girls are walking, and Beth runs through them like a fucking running back, (laughs) carving up a defensive line, two shoulders down, head forward. Boom, she busts right through. Excuse you, Harmon. Fuck you, Margaret. Woo! My girl Beth Harmon. I I love that. I love that. Man, now, did you take this to mean that Beth was still high when she did this?
1: Uh, no, I took it to mean that it was. Remember a couple scenes back of when she gets elbowed by that one girl and just kind of titters at her if she walks away. Beth didn't like you know quake. Beth didn't cry. Beth got pissed. Mm-hmm. That is how Beth responds to things. Man. Beth got Beth got hurt by somebody. Beth hurts person back. I was worried when that girl did that. Beth's gonna pull a shiv and stab her.
0: You do not want to make an enemy of Beth Harmon. Fuck you, Margaret. At home, Beth got a piece of mail. She clearly does not want to open it in front of Alma. She opens it up and, whoo, there it is. Mr. Scheib will come through in the clutch with the five bucks to enter the chess tournament. Mm -hmm. Cut to Beth filling another prescription. The pharmacist says, tell Alma to go easy. She only has three refills left. So that's problematic in a number of ways. One is that she's going through these pills so fast that that the... uh, the pharmacist, the corner store Making guy, has to say, "Whoa, whoa!" She tell her to go easy. Also, you probably t- you probably don't want to ever give anyone, no matter who they are, three refills on benzodiazepines. Like the you need, that's a that's a I'll give you one script. Come back and talk to me later type of medicine.
1: 1960s men, we just want the woman to shut up. That's, that's the objective right now.
0: Yeah, inside Alma is watching TV. She seems a little fucked up. Beth explains that she's going to be home late tomorrow because she entered into a chess tournament. Alma does not seem particularly supportive. Beth asks Alma, uh, when she was her age, how did she broaden her social life? Alma says, really nothing. And Beth says the tournament runs until Sunday.
1: Yeah, That was a it was kind of an asshole move by Beth right there, of where almost, you know, telling her that, you know, uh, well, you know, I, I'm going let you enjoy your hobbies, but, you know, it's important to make friends at your age. You should, you know, you should go dance and, you know, join social clubs. You can, meet, you can meet other people. It's not well-tailored advice for Beth, but it's still well-meant. She still wants her to, you know, make friends and establish a social scene the way, you know, benefits a lot of people. And Beth delivers, delivers her, like you said, that kind of, you know, listen... That line where after a kid says it to you, you just want to say, Listen here, you little shit. Yep. Of where it's it's a pointed cutting at her, Hey, look at you. You're alone now. How well did that work out? Yep. That's just not nice.
0: But it's, it's not
1: nice. Funny. But it's also That's a not teen nice.
0: Response. Well, but I, look, I'm going to stick up for Beth here, okay? Like, Alma is not picking up on the clues that the one thing that Beth is interested in is chess. She's asked her about the chess. Uh, bored. She's come home with the chess magazine, which, by the way, she didn't have enough money to buy, so Alma should have asked that question. She's talked about entering a chess tournament. Now she's saying she's going to enter the chess tournament, and Alma continues to not be supportive. Like, pick up on the fucking clues that this girl likes chess and support her in that, but Alma's not doing it. So what does Beth do? Punches her in the kidney, verbally what speaking. Beth does. Hey, what look, Beth does, yes. look I, pff, I, I, I support Beth in that said verbal kidney punch. That's what I'm saying.
1: I don't, because I have a lot of sympathy for Alma going forward, but it's perfectly in keeping with both Beth and how a teen in that moment would respond to a parent not
0: understanding them. Well, I guess I'm kind of a jerk, because I think I'd probably do that today. Like, if somebody <laughs> didn't pick up on the fact that I fucking like chess and was being a jerk about it, i be like, hey, well, fuck you. Uh, cut to the chess tournament. The guy checking her in asks if she has a clock. She does not. This is a the first, in, in many small details... That we get that Beth doesn't really know what she's doing with regards to the tournament and the apparatus around the tournament. Mm-hmm. Then he asked her what her rating is. She, says, she doesn't have one. And they say they're going to have to put her in the beginner section. After exasperatingly telling her they don't have a woman section, ugh, did that frustrate me? Beth said, I'm not a beginner. Uh, pff, you better take note, bro. Uh, ask mm-hmm. what the prize is for beginners. It's 20 bucks. What is it for the open? Open meaning. Uh, the experts, everybody else, 100 bucks. Beth says, potential line of the episode here, Spencer. Put me in the open.
1: Yeah. It, it, I'm going to give some credit to these guys and really to the overall chess tournament. There's aspects of sexism that are in this, but for 1963 Kentucky, they're pretty open. Almost like unrealistically open in terms of allowing her in and not browbeating her or just dismissing her even her opponents are all universally polite or even just happy for her the sexism she encounters episode no it, 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 it's it, it's indicative to me the show just doesn't want to focus on that in terms of how it, you know is presenting the air and presenting the character in her journey in terms of this could have been the moment to show like you know institutional or cultural sexism to a much greater degree but that seems to be to not be where they want to go with the show and that's fine but it had a notable element of—I like mentioned it before—kind of, of like the fantasy aspect the whole show's steeped up in. Of where she gets a little bit of telling off, she gets a little bit of rolled eyes, but nobody just tells her to fuck off and go home, or you know, is outright rude to her or anything like that.
0: No, no, and and I'm not really to just dismiss these guys as completely sexist, but saying there's not a woman section was a little rough, um, and I do think that part of it is just. What you get in sports, right? Because it's like, well, I mean, you you let like okay, well, let it let it speak for itself, right? Like if you have somebody who shows up to an event to say to play something, um, or a game or a sport or whatever it is, you kind even if you may have inherent biases about that person, you you still say, well, let it, let you know you know let your let your play speak on the field, right? And I think a lot of that is going on here. I think it's. The folks don't really understand why she's there, why she's, quote, wasting her five bucks, right? Like, uh, well, I say quote because I think, like, they probably would say that. Um, But, you know, they say, all right, well, let her play. Let that her play. Let much, it speak on the field.
1: That is very much the theme they're going with and that's very much how the characters are doing. I dispute the realism of that for the given era, but I understand fully what the show is presenting and how it's going about
0: it. Sure. Inside, Beth starts to take in the room. Beth goes up to the scoreboard and sees another guy there. Uh, Beth asks if the matches are played at random. Guy, not at all. Uh, They arrange it by ratings on the first round. After that, winners play winners and losers play losers. Good luck, Beth. You too. Beth sits down at a table and Annette Packer sits down. Annette Packer, by the way, Spencer, potential MVP of the episode. This girl is clutch. She's awesome. Clutch in many ways. Beth says she doesn't understand the clock. She explains each player has nine minutes. You start and stop your opponent's clock as you play. If it goes... Two nine minutes. Your clock goes to nine minutes. You've lost. She asks, "What the pencil and paper is for?" Well, it's to record your moves. Hmm. Beth kind of cocks her head. Says, I? "I guess that makes sense." She explains to Beth that it's touch move, meaning if you touch a move, you touch a pl- uh, uh, if you touch a piece, you have to move it somewhere. Uh, Spencer, have you ever played touch move before? I Have not. No. I haven't, but I've always wanted to because nothing annoys me more than the person who goes touches the queen. Moves it up two spaces. Oh no! Move it back. To hand off the piece annoys the shit out of me. Right? Like I think from now on I'm playing touch move. Um, I know Beth isn't happy. She got paired with a girl, but it's actually great for her. Is the point I want to make here? Because none, I don't think any of the guys would have patiently explained these things to her in the way that our girl Annette does.
1: No, they would have rolled their eyes. They would have just. They would. They would have. They would have sighed. They would have. You know asked somebody at the actual tournament to explain things or given her a pamphlet, they would not have probably taken it. except maybe one of them.
0: The the cute Ooh. guy.
1: I think his name is Towns. Did I hear that right? Yeah, is
0: the, the guy, guy, guy that Beth is clearly looking at.
1: Clearly which looking is a, at. Which, which is, it, 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 I really enjoy what they do with their relationship on this. It's a little uncomfortable given that she, she's 15 and he's like 22, but... Eh. They they have an interesting uh, rapport with each other in this episode, but yeah, I very much agree that it ultimately, while is de- while demeaning to a certain degree, is highly useful that she gets to meet an pecker now.
0: Hundred percent. Cut to Beth walking off. She asks the coordinators what she does with the piece of paper. Well, circle your name and drop it in the back basket. Um, the, the guy she explains Beth explains that she won, and the guy's comment, "Wow, that was fast." Um, we see towns uh walk up next to her apparently he won too. Beth then walks um around watching the others play. She walks into the back and sees two guys playing. This is Beltic, the state champion, and Cullen. She asks if he's a grandmaster. The guy towns uh says well he's not, but he's working on it. Beltic then shushes her. Would you mind? Be quiet. Cullen asks Beltic for a draw. He says, No chance, bro, no chance. The guy drops his king. Boom, it's over. Beltic wins. Beth is taking all of this in. You see the leaderboard, and Beth is clearly moving up on it. She's not at the bottom anymore. Beth is playing, and she puts a guy in check. He seems surprised by it. Then he seems a bit demoralized. He asks her for a draw. Beth says no. So Beth was watching, right? He says, you got me. I resign. Now, this is the part of the show, or the part of the episode, where, getting back to what you were talking about earlier, Spencer, I was just so completely engrossed in these scenes of people playing chess. Yes
1: me off guard. I mean, I I enjoy skilled people doing difficult things and watching experts in their field. But chess has never been something I've, like, voluntarily wanted to look up as a means of entertainment. But they make the games interesting and exciting. They make them strategic. They make them a very fun war between two people. And that's well done. I'm engrossed.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, as she's leaving, they tell her when the next matches are. Uh, and the guy walks by. Uh, but, but what is this guy's name? Uh, I said it earlier. Uh, um, Towns.
1: Towns, belt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Towns. And he tells her to keep it up. Back home, yeah. Alma asks how she did. I won four games. That's nice. Good for you.
1: I'm watching TV. This ca- this casserole in the oven.
0: Back at the tournament, Beth asked the organizers how she plays the higher rated guys. They say she needs to have a rating herself. She asks how she gets one. They say, well, you have to play 30 games and wait four months. Well, that's not acceptable for our girl, Beth Harmon. She says she wants to play Beltic now, motherfuckers. I want to play the best. Cut the head off the snake. They say if she wins her next four games, he does the same, they'll play. But she's not going to win her four games. She calmly, she calmly explains to these fuckers that she is going to win. They kind of snicker. She walks away and then comes back. Towns, the guy you were playing now, he plays first board for the university team, and last month he came in fifth in Vegas. Beth, what's in Las Vegas? The U.S. Open? Whoop! Whoop! Spencer, I think she files that away. I think that's been filed away.
1: One thing to say about the games, too, because we see this a few times in this, and I I just did not know this as being an aspect of chess, is that how much the use of a draw can be used as a kind of bluff. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, we see that in at least two or two or three games in this, of where the, a person who is losing but hoping their opponent doesn't realize it yet offers a draw as oh, a yeah. way of trying to avoid the loss.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I actually, I was watching this with my wife on the rewatch as I was taking notes, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to offer a draw a lot when I play chess from now on.
1: <laughs> Just, you know, like for second move into the game, draw. Yeah,
0: second yeah. move. Somebody's doing the Queen's Gambit. Whoop, I don't know the answer for Queen's Gambit. Draw. <laughs> you want know <how> to draw? <laughs> That's
1: uh, Cle- <laughs> almost my presumption for our games Clearly I'm going to lose in like 20 moves anyway So let's try to just end this now while I have some dignity intact
0: Back to the recap, Beth then goes into the room uh, Sits down to play Towns Looks like we've been stalking each other, he says to her The game starts, he's pretty confident But she is just a fucking machine, Spencer She does not she, play she, around
1: She's a machine, but I like The little traces humanity we get in her action, Interactions with him Every other game we see her playing, it is methodical, it is computer-like, it is utterly dismantling her opponent. While she just, with her hand, she loves to do a move where she, has, she puts her hands underneath her jaw and just stares down at them. It's, just, it's really intimidation power play. But with him, there are smiles, there are gestures, there are little looks, extra stares that she does at him. She's clearly taken with him. And it's fun to see that they're both enjoying this. They're both having fun with this game the way we don't always see with the other players or when they're doing this. They're they're in a tournament. It's a big deal. But they're enjoying themselves playing each other. And that's cute. I liked that.
0: At least to start with, because the guy does start to get uncomfortable and Beth just keeps smiling. And she's trying not to be obnoxious here, you can tell. But she is very confident. Then people start watching and Beth starts to march him down. She tells him he won't have to suffer much longer at one point. He circles her name and resigns. Damn shakes her hand
1: with dignity
0: yep good sport about it he asked how old she is actually don't answer that it'll just depress me i'm 36 (laughs) good line there from beth very good line beth he says you really are something um
1: she clearly agrees because while he's while he's telling her this she's as you noticed rubbing her lips while staring at him the girl's got a first crush maybe
0: yep for sure um uh, she says she's going to stay behind to study the board, which he takes note of. Uh-huh. Um, but Beth does not seem happy. She uh, yep. doesn't want to get up. She seems, oh, she's kind of, looks like she's stomach like gramps or something. She gets up and runs off in the bathroom. And we see she's having her period. Um, and, her first, apparently. Yep. Seems like it's the, the first time that's happened to her. Another girl walks in. Our girl! Annette walks in.
1: Hero of the episode.
0: In, the real MVP, Spencer. And she sees her, her it. Her and Scheibel. Sees it, and she says, um, you yeah. have something. She hands her a pad, I think, and the girl waits just in case Beth doesn't know how to use it. Real MVP situation. Beth goes into the stall, and Where's Beth does not be like- use the tampon uh, or the, the, the pad. She just grabs a bunch of toilet paper and cleans herself up, it looks like. And the girl's outside telling her how great she is. She says, Sizemore is pretty good. Beth comes out and thanks her. Beth says she thought she was sick. The other girl told her the first time she had hers, she threw up. Well, actually every time. Uh, Yeah, so not a fun thing uh, women have to deal with, Spencer. Beth uh, Mm. says she has to get back on the way out. The girl says, beat him, won't you? I'll try a little girl power situation there, Spencer. Girl power. (laughs) Little girl power.
1: And with respect to who her next opponent is, I'm with them. Sure, whatever motivation to beat that guy with the goddamn comb throughout that match, I'm with you in terms of defeating him.
0: Yep, for sure.
1: That, that guy annoyed me. I don't even know why he annoyed me as much as he did, but he did.
0: Back at the table with Sizemore, it looks like Beltic is watching her, uh, kind yes. of kind of off in the distance. And at the table, Sizemore keeps brushing his hair. Real douche move, which really seems yeah, to yes. annoy uh, Beth. Uh, that real 1960s, like, slick, you know, grab the grab the the little
1: greaser kind of oh yeah it's really
0: gross cuts a bath coming home and alma's playing the piano alma asks her to get the little bottle of green pills for her Hmm, of course and
1: there are some signs that alma's a bit off even compared to normal in this scene
0: yeah she is beth goes upstairs and it's a complete wreck Um, Phones
1: off the hook room's trashed something mm -hmm. happened
0: Yep, Beth finds the pills, puts the phone back on the hook, and walks downstairs. Alma takes a few as Beth asks her if Mr. Wheatley has been, uh, Beth asks, Alma asks, yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, Alma's explaining that Mr. Wheatley has been indefinitely detained in the Southwest. Um, Somewhere between Denver and Butte.
1: I I love the the discreet, indirect way she discusses this.
0: And she just starts babbling about Aristotle. Um, So yeah, she's just out of her mind. Beth asks if they can send her back if she no longer has a husband. So Beth doing the math here uh, that Mr. Wheatley's not coming back and she wants to know how that potentially could affect her. Alma says, well, they won't if we lie about it. Beth, that's easy enough. Alma smiles. Potential line of the episode here. You're a good soul, Beth. Tells Beth to heat up the chicken dinner. Beth says she doesn't know how to put the pads on. Alma says even though she's uh, she doesn't have a husband. She believes she can learn to be a mother. She tells her she can show her how. She promises to never go near Denver. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. They're very funny. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, cut to Beth at the table, and she's waiting for someone to show up. In walks Beltic.
1: Strutting in late. Is Belt- that Beltic's
0: Belt- yep. music? We have the we have the showdown we're looking for all episode. He says he's late because he was huh getting another cup of coffee he sits down all the confidence in the world all the confidence in the world yep. from Baltic here uh, I love how the actor plays it do you recognize the actor
1: no I don't actually who is That it?
0: is that uh, is the Dursley kid from the Harry Potter movies the fat uh, Dursley off. kid no. yeah that's him
1: no, I, I've seen the first movie that fat kid is him
0: that's the fat Dursley kid yes
1: he thinned out
0: yeah he's looking good right
1: <laughs> uh, other than the teeth I hope those aren't his real teeth but who knows well, he's British. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. That he sits down. He starts uh, to
0: move. She starts to but, play, and they're off. Go ahead.
1: It's notable that you know he does the power trip move of arriving late. He is you know radiating confidence, but he is very polite with her. Still, he's it rude in terms of showing a plate, but he shakes her hand. He asks her name. He sits down politely, and they start. And then he starts to do the annoying ticks thing. It's clear that, like you noted with. Um, her playing I guess what was the name name of the guy before the one with brushing his hair the greaser whatever yeah Uh, she clearly thank you she does not like other players engaging in activity while she's playing she likes the game to be ordered she likes the game just to be played anything else that distracts her from it clearly sets her off and sets her off quickly
0: yep for sure Um, so yeah he starts to like yawn and stuff Um, Mm -hmm. that that, like your point that really annoys him Um, It looks like he's getting the better of her to start with. Um, And he looks very confident. He looks like it's just another game that he's playing where he's going to kick somebody's ass. Beth gets up, goes to the bathroom, looks around. Short-term gain, long-term pain, Spencer. That's what we're seeing here. Short-term gain, long-term pain. She takes a pill. One of the almost pills that she yanked. Looks in the mirror. Come on, you ugly piece of trash. You can beat that fucker. She sighs, she looks up, and she can see the pieces on the wall. She knows the next move. She comes back, she sits down. Boom, it is a different Beth Harmon, motherfucker. No, Beltic starts to look worried. She pushes the pieces. Son of a bitch. Beth, I think that's it. No, I can get out of this. I don't think so. Maybe if you'd gotten here on time. Damn! Uh, Woo! uh. Ah, he keeps playing. It doesn't work. She starts to explain it to him, and he makes her go through it. She starts to explain it to him, and he stops her. So he doesn't want to hear it, but he does keep going. So he makes her go through the process. She starts to look bored, and as he, she takes his knight, do you see it now, or should we finish this on the board? Mm-hmm, Beltic, mm-hmm. son of a bitch. And then he drops the king, shakes her hand, and he smiles for her. To your point. Yeah. Tough competition. Didn't take her seriously to begin with. Maybe a little, maybe a little offensive in how he treated her to start with. But once it's clear that she's very good and she's kicked his ass, he does give her the proper due.
1: Yeah, everyone. There, I mean, there, there are. It's clear a certain element of condescension and clearly an element of mocking, particularly with the guys up front. Though they're still n- nice and helpful enough to her. Everybody here be- behaves as the as you would want competitors to behave. They treat her with respect. They honor her when she wins. There's no element of mockery or dismissal attached with her victories they like you said they act as you would, put, you would you would want sports competitors to behave when they're facing another opponent
0: alma back home alma reads about her in the paper beth won 100 bucks um beth then explains she wants to open a bank account why well because she can potentially win thousands more dollars playing chess uh beth All the... Our girl's got some confidence. Now, she does not have confidence in her looks. She does not have confidence in how she interacts socially. But she does have confidence in her ability to play chess. She knew when she walked in there, she could beat all those guys. She knows how good she is. And she knows, hey, look, if these tournaments pay money, I'm going to win a lot more money. So, Mom, let's me and you go get a bank account.
1: I'm assuming at some point in the series she is going to actually lose to somebody. And I'll be really curious to see how she handles that. Because... She has well-earned confidence at this point, but it borders on arrogance. She's confident in her ability to win because she's never really lost. Nope. She's She has overcome every opponent. At times, it appears effortlessly. Even at, even at the championship, she has a moment of doubt that is rapidly dismissed, and then she just plows through all before her. Yep. If, if she ever actually faces a difficult opponent or actually ever actually loses, I'll be really curious to see how she takes that, given how much, as you noted, that's the one thing she's confident in. Everything else in her life is unsettled, but that she is certain of.
0: Well, eventually Kobe runs into Jordan. Um, <laughs> she, she'll find somebody eventually, but it you know it hadn't happened yet, and Beltic certainly was not the guy. And, um,
1: um, did, did, I, I didn't write it down, but did you make a note of what his rating was? It was high. It was like it was over, over 1,800, like, I think, yeah. I, I think it was like even over 2,000. So he's like, you know, I think uh, he's like He was the state champion at Kentucky, yeah. He's like a candidate master, expert ranking in terms of, like the U.S. the U.S. Chess Federation. So he was he was good. He was very solid.
0: He and was he high enough that him. he had some um, he had some like uh, um, what what is the word I'm looking for? Like how he, he just couldn't believe it was happening. Um,
1: yeah, there was a certain element of being almost baffled or incredulous about whether this was occurring.
0: Denial, that's what I'm going for. Yes. There was some sure. denial that this was happening because I think he was just so good and she was unranked and he just couldn't believe it. But yeah, I mean, she she took down a state champion. It's worth writing up in the paper, and by God, they certainly did. And Alma yeah. sees it. Now Alma gets it. Now it's clicked for Alma.
1: Actually, it was a good, uh, good thing you mentioned that, that newspaper. I forgot about that. Credit to Beltic. He actually gives her a quote in the paper to compliment her, too. Yeah, for sure. He did not have to do that.
0: Yeah, you're going to like Beltic. I'm just going to tell you that.
1: Oh, he, he, we see him some more?
0: Uh tip my hand. I'll go ahead and tell you. Yeah, we, see, we see Beltic again. Um, he's a good guy. Beltic is a good, good people. We can just go ahead and cate- – we can just firmly place Beltic in good people category.
1: He, he was arrogant, but I got a good read on him from what I saw. That yeah. He came around once he let the the, 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 the you know, fence of arrogance fall a bit.
0: Well, I feel comfortable telling you that because we do get the quote from Beltic in the in the paper. And to your point, he's got to be good people to do that. I mean, no yes. one – he does not have to do that. He is not obliged to do that.
1: We've discussed Michael Jordan before, but can you imagine Michael Jordan giving that kind of quote no. to the opponent beating him? No.
0: Uh-uh. <laughs> ah, Nor no. Kobe. Cuts to Beth at the department store. She's now buying books about chess. She also looks at an outfit she likes and buys it. She bought the book Modern Chess Openings, so she got her copy again. Yes. Um, Pro-
1: probably a newer edition, too.
0: Uh, she also bought a chess set, and she starts to set up in a room. Alma calls her downstairs. Alma says she looked through the chess magazine, and she says there's a chess tournament in Cincinnati. Prize is five hundred bucks. Alma says, "Hey, I, looked, I took the liberty of calling the Greyhound. Beth, what about school? Alma, ah, I can write an excuse. Mono. Uh, Woo, kissing today. Side tangent. Let's pause the let's pause the the recap. Side tangent here for Spencer. Spencer, did you ever get mono?
1: I never got mono.
0: My sister I... got mono
1: badly, but I never got mono.
0: Ooh, 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 ooh! I could make a joke there. Um, go on I ahead. I never now... got mono. Never got mono. Um, but knew that mono was a way to really get out of some school. I mean, I'm talking. This is not a cold. If you fake mono, no, you get a week. Serious. So I fake mono like three times in my my high school career. The
1: reason I mentioned it with my sister is because she was out of school for two months with mono. I mean, I, I key part of my of like me being like. Wow. I think it was like 14 or 15, was having to bring home all of her assignments for months and help like advise her about what her teachers were recommending because she was down and out. She went from mono to shingles in the same period. Oh, like, shit. Yeah, it was
0: bad. Glad I didn't make that joke. Um, Alma explains that they can stay in the hotel there, that she's calculated the cost, and even if Beth only gets second or third, they'd still make a profit. Beth, I'll win. Alma, I have great confidence. Boom, end of episode. And that is it with the recap. Spencer, any closing thoughts on the recap as we prepare for our segments?
1: I said, uh, you know, it it was a solid enough episode of television. A lot of it was functional. A lot of it felt a bit John Hughesy in terms of a lot of That's the
0: that's, the, no, that's the director I was going for. Yes, thank yeah, you.
1: Yeah. The Breakfast Club kind of shit. Yes, good call there, goal. Spencer. Uh, which was fine. It came across as really kind of tropey. Um, but when they got to the tournament it felt alive. It felt interesting. It felt that was an electric. Inv- yes, that's the word. It, it, it got me invested in the show. It was like, okay, if that's what we're building towards, if that's going to be the focus, I'm willing to fight through some things that are just kind of fine and there with respect to that. I'm not necessarily going to care about some of these character arcs, apparently, or at least I haven't so far. But to see these tournaments, to see these interactions between the players, that's engaging in a way I did not expect. And I appreciated that.
0: For sure. <clears throat> completely agree with you, Spencer. Um, I felt like it was a setup episode. As I mentioned at the jump, it was it's an episode where if this was all the show is, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a cultural phenomenon like it is. But I do think that we get a sense of the potential of the show in the chess scenes, which are fucking electric. They when she's playing beltic and she comes back and sits down at that, at that, um, comes back in the bathroom after having taken the pill, not great, but mm-hmm. she did. And she sits down and she's ready to fucking go. It is like, it's like fourth quarter game is tied, like excitement, uh, mm-hmm. from the show, which I think they do very, very, very well. Um, and that bodes well for future episodes.
1: And the actress is very, Annabeth Taylor is very well cast in terms of this role. And she uses, you know, she has a very unique face. She has very big eyes. She's a very expressive kind of face in that regard, and so it works so well when she stares down at her opponents because it just encapsulates her face and just captures our eyes too when she does it.
0: Okay, I think so we both mis- mispronounced her name at some point. You said okay. Annabeth Taylor, and I said I, Anna. I uh, said that completely wrong. Yeah. And I said Anna Taylor Joy. It's Anya Taylor Joy. A N Y A. Anya, yeah. A-N-Y-A Taylor Joy. We're, we're gonna
1: get that right from going on forward
0: now. <laughs> we'll try anyway. <laughs>
1: she does well we appreciate her
0: yeah she's good sorry i cut you off did you want to finish that point
1: no no, that was pretty much that those moments in the chest particularly the interaction she has with towns are are good television i like that quite a bit
0: yeah very very good um so overall i give this i'm gonna bump it up i started at a 5.5 after the recap after talking about the chess scenes with you uh i'm gonna go six i'm gonna go six for this episode
1: yeah, I'd give it like, you know, six and a half, somewhere around there. It, it's solid. It's enjoyable. It would not, it's hard. It's a hard episode to recommend for like an entire series, but it offers the potential for good things.
0: Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, that is our recap of Queen's Gambit episode two. We will now jump into our segments. We have best line of the episode. Spencer, do you have any recommendations for best line of the episode?
1: I got a few. You want to do this round, robin, Or you want me to offer my recommendation?
0: You Can offer you? yours, and then I'm going to crown a winner.
1: Okay. Uh... One of the first lines that you know, it stood out to me just because I liked how it was framed. And then I got pregnant. You have a child? We did. Yes. Mm. Less is more. Mm. I, I like I like that scene. I like the pain the actress brings into it. I like that they don't go any further with it. And explain it. They give us enough that we can go further with it. I like that. I like that quite a bit. Um, just because it fully amused me, I think just so fully summarizes the character that Harmon is. Excuse you, Harmon. Fuck you, Margaret. <laughs> that is how she goes through life. That is how she goes through people that oppose her or mess with her. And we've already seen the elements of that. And so it was a wonderful summary of that, and also what we all kind of wanted to say to Margaret back in school.
0: Mm-hmm. Fuck
1: uh, you, Margaret.
0: Let's put but, that on a T-shirt. <laughs> fuck you, Margaret. And with <laughs> like, like just ways. the scene of like just the just the sh- the silhouette of like uh, Beth with her books and like crouched down you know, running forward on a t-shirt, fuck you, Margaret, I think that would sell. The,
1: the, the concern I have is just how influential the West Wing has been on my life, but I would still default to the idea that I'm saying fuck you to Margaret in that show, and I would never say that to Margaret on oh, that show.
0: Oh, Margaret is so lovely, yeah.
1: It did, she is. Um, another one I liked um, is, is the cutting teenage, you know, listen to your little shit line about when you were my age, how did you broaden your social life? That was effectively cutting it's an effective response to someone offering her the usual platitudes that you offer a kid at that age about pay attention to me and what I need and consider your own problems with following that same cookie cutter life that everybody thought you needed. Um, one of the lines that she has with towns about when she's starting to defeat towns, because the initial part of the game is pretty evenly matched, but by the end she's dominating him of where he says, Jesus Christ, Harmon, you're, humili- you're humiliating my rook. You won't have to suffer much longer. It's, Playful, it's well meant, but it's also just shows her absolute confidence in this game. She is prepared for whatever you're going to do for five moves from now, and you have no hope. And the follow-up line from him too at the end, after after you know she defeats him, he very you know graciously circles the name on the card for her. Uh, he says, "You know, how old are you? Never mind. Don't answer that. It would only depress me." And she just chipperly responds, "I'm 36." Very good. Thank, thank you. And then he offers, very similar to the Mr. Scheibel line from the last episode, but you really are something. You know that? And she's imminently flattered to have that a quality player like that, particularly this guy, say that to her. She's clearly touched by it. That's a good, a good exchange. Um, the line from Alma. It seems Mr. Wheatley has been indefinitely detained in the Southwest, somewhere between Denver and Butte. I love the, the uh, kind of element of you can't mention it, you can't say that she's an abandoned wife, you can't say that she's been uh, not divorced. You can't probably can't legally divorce, but, but
0: they can probably divorce now. in the '60s. Yeah, they can divorce.
1: I, it depends on state law at the time, but it doesn't seem like they're necessarily going about that. Um, but I appreciate the the hiding the pain that that brings in, and, and then the closing line from her too about. I'm, I love the formality behind this because she knows how important it is, and she's drawing up something from that. But I'm, though I'm no longer a wife except by legal fiction, and that tells me that maybe not, maybe not getting divorced. I believe I can learn to be a mother, and I'm telling her at the end, I'll show you how if you can promise me you'll never go near Denver. <laughs> I like that mama I think I'm going to like Alma's character quite a bit, though she clearly has problems and issues that I'm worried are going to bleed over onto Beth even more than she already has. And last one for me, just because I love the brutality of it, about the line from uh, Beth to Belchick. You know, you, I can save this, I can save this. No, you can't. Maybe if you've gotten here on time.
0: that's uh, It's, a, it's a great cutting line. Oh, I like that a lot. Oh, man.
1: Now, you, you had some others, and I purposely removed them because you already mentioned them, but I'm openly willing to endorse any of your choices here. There, was actually, there were some solid lines in this episode.
0: Very good lines. Um, I'm going to pick a favorite for me, though. Um, because I don't think we have like a seminal line. We don't have anything where, you know, you look at it and you nah. go, "Oh, well, that absolutely has to be a line of the episode, right? So I am picking the best line of the episode. Queen's Gambit episode two is, do you see it now? Or should we finish this on the board?
1: I, I wanted to mention that line too, but that is a strong line. That is such a strong line.
0: <laughs> Very good. And I'm going to tip a handle. I'm doing a lot of hand tip in this episode. Maybe I shouldn't, uh, Pretty indicative of the the Beth Harmon we're going to see in later episodes.
1: I'm not surprised. She seems like she. We mentioned like with um, that uh, that Cuban player whose name is already escaping me, a uh, uh, Capablanca, mm-hmm. that he was primarily famous for being a defensive and like an end game player. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like what we're getting out of Harmon. Harmon just seems like I will break you. Yep. I will attack you constantly. I will keep you constantly off balance, and you will fall before me. She's a really aggressive style.
0: Did you see the lay of the board um, when she was playing Beltic early on?
1: I didn't really note it, no. She was
0: playing the Sicilian. She started with the Sicilian, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, smart. I mean, it's it's a dominant strategy at that time and now for good reason. Um,
0: But uh, also to your point, I mean, it it shows that she she was aggressive with him. I mean, she jumped right out, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, attacking pieces.
1: So I, I like how they're characterizing her game and her style just how aggressive and confrontational it is. Even in her mannerisms while she watches her opponents, she never gives her, moments of, her opponents a moment of peace. She's always staring them down. She's always overpowering them, which I'm sure is all the more unexpected when it comes to playing this little slip of a girl.
0: Yep, absolutely. That is best line of the episode. We will now move on to best scene of the episode. Spencer, do you have any nominees?
1: I've got a few. Uh, there's a few scenes I liked quite a bit in this episode. A lot of it like I said is just kinda of there, but some of these scenes stood out. I love like you noted, I loved the nineteen sixties department store. I yeah, loved that exploring that I love, and I loved where they ultimately go with the flickering lights and the dank and the dank, you know, like water standing over on the walls when they finally get to the discount section to buy her stuff. That, that is so much a thing from a bygone era. I mean, even the malls that we went to ourselves when we were growing up in like the late, in like the late 80s, early 90s don't really exist anymore, mm-hmm. or are rapidly dying. So I appreciate that little hearkening uh, back to something that is very much now part of fiction rather than reality. Mm-hmm. Um, another scene I liked, well, as I said before, anything when they're playing chess is great. It's really well done. It's really engaging, but particularly the game and interactions between Towns and Harman. They have an interesting banter. They have an interesting rapport, and Mm -hmm. I appreciate how engaged the two of them are in each other and how much fun they're having as they're doing Even when he's losing, he still seems like he's a a bit stressed but still having fun with it. And I appreciate that kind of closeness that they already seem to be be developing. So I'll be curious to see what more goes of that. This seems like the kind of show that... If they introduce me to somebody, we're going to eventually come back to them. They're being conservative with named characters in a way that I feel like if that, if I know a name for you, you're I'm going to see you again. Um, but I'll be curious to see with that. And then the last scene of when the mom's already done the planning. She's already done yeah. the accounting. Yeah, she's already cool. fa- worked out the details of where this is a mommy-daughter life plan that's being put in motion here. I'll mm-hmm. curious to see how long they go on this road together because essentially she has a manager.
0: Yeah, this is exactly what would happen. Like if our podcast listens spike tomorrow, and like I I sign on, I see we've got four million downloads. I'm gonna go Spencer. I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be Alma to your to your Beth, Spencer. (laughs) I've already got a plan for you. We're gonna record three episodes a week, and even if we only get three million downloads, we can still turn a profit.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing you like, okay, I've already downloaded your case schedule. You've got a trial that goes till 3 o'clock. It means we can start recording at 3.30. Um, you've got a witness deposition at 4.30. I need you to finish that in 23 minutes so that we can start recording then. It, it, it'll be out to Absolutely.
0: the Absolutely. Uh, 100% your manager. <laughs> but I, I do like that like, Alma was late to the game, right? And she did not pick up. I, I think in. she really missed out on being just a good... Friend slash mother figure of just being supportive because you need to. Here's the thing in life, another life lesson from Uncle Lee, maybe a new segment on the Manga Talks uh, Life
1: Lessons with Uncle Lee. Life I, I, endorse, this. Uncle I Lee. endorse this.
0: Yeah, there's life lessons with Uncle Lee. When you have a friend or somebody that you are close with and they are interested in something, you need to show interest and be supportive of said thing before you know they're good, right? Like, yeah. you need to be supportive of her playing chess before you figure out that she can actually pay the bills doing it.
1: It's interesting here, and I'm curious to have, this is a fun thing that wants to because I saw some very different opinions from critics on this subject. Is she? Is this a monetary objective for her, of where she's finding this as a means to a solution now that she knows that it's a way of making money? Or is this a continuation from that prior scene of her deciding that I can learn to be a mother, of where she's definitely come around to supporting her now, and now that she's seen her win a tournament? But is this just because she's realizing her brilliance and realizing what her child is capable of and needs to be supported? Or is she seeing this as a bit of a, I did not realize you could make money from this. Let's focus on that.
0: Great question, Spencer. And I will tell I think it's a split, right? It's not one answer or the other. I think it's... A percentage, one side, Elements. percentage of the other side. I think it's going to be... I think it's 60% we can make money on this. 40%. I'm just being supportive. And I give it less than 50% where I'm just being supportive. Only because at that point I, pre- I made previously, right? Alma did not yes. jump on this until there was money involved. And that yep. that is why I do I, I do give her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And that I do think that she is... what She wants her to be happy. I do believe that. Hmm. But this oh man, I'm, I'm jumping on this chess thing, does really seem to be, with all the evidence we have, driven at an over 50% clip by we can make some money. What would you think?
1: Yeah, I very much agree. I think she still would have supported her in chess, maybe even helped get her a chess board after she succeeded at the game, just because of how much she saw it meant to her or whatever else. But now that she knows that it can make money, now it's something more. Now it is bigger. Now it is not just a nice hobby that will support you in and I'll give you an allowance so that you can afford to support yourself with it maybe in the future. Now it's a, okay, this is now how we, this is now our careers. This is now our focus. School can think you have mono.
0: Yep, 100%. Yep. Okay, that is the end. Wait,
1: wait, which wins?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, good question. Best scene of the episode. I think I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go with the, the the scene that and it, this is kind of hack, right? But I'm gonna go with Alma or when sorry when um when our girl Beth Harmon runs to the bathroom, takes the pill, sees the chess pieces on the board, comes out and wipes the floor with Beltic. That's what I'm that that sort of two part scene I think has to be best scene of the episode. Spencer, what do you think?
1: Yeah. I think that is a great scene. It is a great like setup, like, like you said. This feels like it's a setup for a character of where the world yeah. doesn't fully know what she's capable of yet. Maybe even the audience only has seen it now through the lens of a child. They've not seen her as a ad- more of an adult. I say adult. She's fifteen. At she's turning maybe sixteen.
0: 16 at best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but this feels like it's a okay. Let's everybody understand what this is. Let's everybody understand what this person is capable of. And it is both that for the characters, that for the audience, but also that for the world. She got a newspaper article on this. She's going to be hard to be ignored in the future.
0: Well, hell, she beat, unranked person, beat the state champion. I mean, that, that deserves a, a column, like a, you know, column in page three, right? But um, and, and not, and not, not even just him, Tim, Maybe He's
1: the big one, particularly for Kentucky Papers. But hell, even Towns, do I have this right that he came in fifth in the U.S. championship?
0: Yeah, and she beat him. Wipe the floor. Yeah, so that's I picked the scene because, spoiler alert, the chess matches become very important, right? That that's a big part of the show. And so this this was the first time we really got to see her playing a heavy hitter, and we got to see her get punched a little early on. And how she responded to that and how she was able to collect herself, how she was able to get some momentum, even though I certainly don't support how she did so, but she did, and she came back and she wiped the floor with this guy. Um, And I think that that is, that's got to be best seen because it, it's really, like you say, it's really setting up how we're going to see her interact in these chess tournaments going forward.
1: Now, I got to ask you, and I'm going to push you a little bit here. Is this best seen because it is best seen of the episode or is this best seen because you have superior knowledge about where we're going? Or is it
0: both? I think it's, I think it's, well, I think it's a seminal scene in the episode, right? I mean, there's a reason it's at the end. Um, yes, of She's beating the big boss, right? She she got through the level. Um, <laughs> the video
1: game. She's completed the video game level.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I, I think it's you know it's it's a good bit that, but I, I will tell you it is a little bit because it kind of sets up for how Beth um, approaches these chess tournaments going forward, and it shows um, you know seeing this. I think that this is an important scene because seeing that she can beat somebody with the gravitas, with the with the background, with the ranking of beltic kind of shows you where this is going because now we know yeah i mean we knew that she was a chess prodigy right we knew she was really good but now we know she can compete in this world she can play some of the very best uh, you know and beat some of them and so i think that really sets up for where the story is going
1: very much so she she is truly a prodigy she is truly a once in a generation kind of moment and the world will understand what she's capable of in time to come
0: so that is. The recap, that is best line of the episode. That is best scene. It's time for me now. Kick back on the lazy boy. Boom, do the reclining. Spencer, take it away for Spencer's Wikipedia Spiral of the Week.
1: Well, my friend, you know me, and I love to entertain an audience. I love to bring the most scintillating material possible. And so you know what I want to discuss this time?
0: Tell me. I want to discuss
1: chess rating systems. Oh,
0: look out, ladies and gentlemen.
1: I am bringing the live material. I'm bringing the stuff that gets people in seats. But it is interesting, and we got a mention of it this this time around. Where we had several times talked about in this episode that, you know, you have to be a minimum this rating. You need to—we got competitors that are over this rating. I was looking at those going, I've got a vague idea of what that means, but what are where do these actually come from and how do they work? When we hear that bellcheck is, you know, a 2150 and I double-checked, what does that mean? Well, based on the timing of this show, which seems to be taking place specifically in 1963— we are going under what is known as the ELO rating system, which is actually pretty predominant now. Uh, This is a system that was developed by a Hungarian-born U.S. citizen who was a professor of physics at Marquette University, and on Mm -hmm. the side was also the eight-time Wisconsin state champion at chess. The whole whole stereotype about smart people playing chess appears to be at least true. He also was a very active member of the U.S. Chess Federation since it was created back in 1939. Mm -hmm. And before he started citing that he was going to use his mathematical and physics-based knowledge to develop something better, we'd be using something that was called the Harkness system, which was fine. It generally was pretty accurate in terms of representing how, where relatively players ranked from each other, but it wasn't really heavily math or statistically based. I mean, it even worked in things like competitive rewards. You win this tournament, you get this many points kind of thing. Mm-hmm which pretty quickly skewed things the way that people recognized that eh, this doesn't feel really accurate or reliable or pointedly fair. And that was the main motivation. So let's develop a system where we can develop it. It will be simple and no one can dispute that it is perfectly predictable and fair. And so Arpad ELO, the name of this guy, decided that he was going to work up a different system with the backing of the US Chess Chess Federation. In 1960, it came out and it Rapidly was adopted. The U.S. Chess Federation adopted it the same year. Took 10 years for the World Chess Federation, but bear in mind their actual name is in French, so they're always going to dismiss anything the U.S. comes with for at least 10 years before they adopt it. And (laughs) since then, it has been adopted pretty much everywhere. It's fun to see where it took longer. Germany did not adopt it until the 1990s. The English still haven't. They still have their own system, but that is not surprising. It works on the idea that An average player's performance, a player's performance in any particular game is based on a normal distribution. Every player essentially has an average level of performance. So you can accurately predict their ability based on how they do in one game versus another player. Because we're assuming that they're always performing at roughly their mean level of performance. As well as that chess players in general essentially work on a kind of normal distribution. Now the first person to tell you that that was bullshit would have been Mr. Elo himself. He openly acknowledged that what he was doing was meant to be simple and easy, not accurate. He described it before as that this is meant to be an approximate, that essentially this is the measurement of the position of a cork bobbing up and down on the surface of agitated water with a yardstick tied to a rope, which is also swaying in the wind. That was his own description of what he was doing here. (laughs) This was in no way meant to be absolutely perfectly scientific, because he knew that players didn't really perform in a normal distribution. He knew that players weren't always delivering their average game, and he knew that the world of chess wasn't existing on a normal distribution with there being an an average of players in the middle. Life is more complicated than that. But he wanted to make a system that people could easily look at it and say this is math-based, and I can on my little hand calculator after, after each game predict exactly what my chess rating is going to be. It was clear, it was indisputable, there was no level of gamesmanship going into this. And so everyone could know with a relative degree of accuracy where they stood compared to each other. And that's Which, a... by the way, that
0: methodology, is, isn't is that so perfect for a chess player? Absolutely. Here you go. You can calculate it. Go ahead.
1: And that was, that's such a great point, because that was so key to what they were trying to accomplish here, is that previously when it was your individual tournaments assigning points kind of thing, chess players immediately got their hackles up, that that's not fair, I can't control that, I have to wait for a list to be published each year to know where I am, mm-hmm. I hate this. So let's instead switch to a system of where there is an existing formula that everybody knows and that everybody can directly know based on the opponent you're playing, how many games you're playing, what your expected level of performance in those games is, what your score will be at the end of this tournament. Everybody ate that up. And so it quickly, rapidly spread about. Now, there's some key details here, though, that I want to make clear. Again, I've already expressed that Elo himself had reservations about this. He did not intend this to be an accurate statement about how good you are. What he meant to be is a relative statement on your comparing compared to other players playing right now okay, that's a key yeah. detail the system does not work across eras because it's working off the players that you're currently playing against and how what good you are compared to them the fact that you know magnus carlson is the best player today and has the score of this and that bobby fisher was the best player back in the 60s and had a score of this the fact that Magnus Carlsen now has a higher score than Bobby Fischer ever did does not necessarily mean that he's better. It just right. means that he is that much better than the other players they are playing against him now. Got so it. Also an issue of score inflation I'm going to get to in a minute. But the key thing here is that there are essentially a set amount of points shared between the entire chess community. And each person has so many of them. And that when you play another player, you run the potential of taking away some of their points if you beat them with how many points you take away from them being based on what your relative ability and what your relative ranking compared to them is. The, best player, the play, best player in the world plays the worst player in the world. The best player in the world wins, he gets almost nothing. If the worst player in the world wins, he gets a hefty amount of points.
0: So, this is going to sound crazy. This sounds a lot like wrestling.
1: This sounds like a system which has, since it was developed, been a, used Everywhere.
0: Yeah, it sounds a lot like, like both, both like professional, like, like actual professional, like Olympic wrestling, but then like the stupid professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing. Yes. Like if you, if you're the champion and you beat a guy who's never been a contender, it does nothing for you. Like, it's the same thing.
1: Isn't this a wonderful system? I mean, it's used in so many different sports because it is imminently fair. It is eminently predictable. And its intention is to essentially create a certain amount of balance of where the best players sort up to a certain rating, other players sort out to another rating. But everyone has the potential of moving up or down based on how they perform individual games. It's mm-hmm. based on what you're predicted to be able to do. But you said it's used in wrestling, it's commonly used in football, soccer, baseball, basketball, tennis, esports in particular, of where it's just a very simple way of rating other players.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there are some problems with it that I've already noted. One of the biggest issues though that they've discovering in recent years is score inflation. But actually, let me get to one thing before I go to that. Um, Mm. We heard some scores that were thrown out there in terms of, you know, what various players are. So let's discuss a few uh, different category ranges. Essentially, if you're below 2,000, you've got various categories of potential, but they don't have a name for you yet. Uh, Pretty much scores go from potentially zero up to over 2,700. There's no top limit, but the scale was originally developed by Elo went from essentially those who are below 1,200 that he considered novices, to those that are over 2,700, which he didn't have a name for, but he informally referred to as super grandmasters. If if you get up to around a NILO score of 2,000, or performance score of 2,000, in the uh, U.S., you're referred to as an expert, and that internationally referred to as a candidate master. And as you go up in rankings about 200 to 100 above that, you eventually get up to the area of around uh, masters and grandmasters. With Grandmasters typically being above 2,400, most often being above 2,500. And with the top players today being over 2,800 in terms of score. Now, that over 2,800 is interesting. Because again, when Elo originally developed this, he had a kind of just reserved upper echelon above above 2,700. Because when he developed this system, at that time, there was only one guy in the world who had a score over 2,700. There was only one guy in history that had developed a score over 2,700 nowadays that is no longer the case nowadays um well for example in 2015 where i've got reliable statistics on there were 40 players that had a score over 2700 there were four active players that had a score over 2800 mm-hmm. and as, as of recently over 101 players have broken the 20, 2700 score 13 in their lifetime have exceeded the 2800 score we oh. presently hmm. as of this morning i looked 37 players have scores over 2,700 and two over 2,800. Hmm. Now, this is a heavy rise in terms, of overall, in terms of overall top scores. And a lot of people have tried to debate why that is, because they said, in 1979, only one player in history had developed a score over 2,700. That was the famous Karpov, one of the best Russian players ever. Commonly still on other players' best player of all time list. Heard that guy. Heard yep. that. By 1992, eight players had reached, in their entire careers, at some point, a score of above 2,700. By 2012, that was 44, now it's over 101. And now, typically, you're not viewed as either the top in the world unless you're over 2,800. So, why is that? Well, there's a lot of different theories. I mean, it's perfectly possible that simply a lot more people are playing, a lot more people are having an opportunity to be exposed to it, And players may just be getting better. We have computers we can play against that are always at the top of your game. You can hone Mm -hmm. your skill mathematically, scientifically, in a way that nobody was ever able previously to do. When, you know, when Morphe was playing back in the 1800s, he could only play at tournaments or against the other people that were around him at any, any given time. Carlson now can play a computer which is better than any other human whenever he wants on his cell phone. So... It could just be that players are better trained and getting better. But there's other reasons that are possibly at play. For one reason, it's a bit in the interests of the industry and actually in the interests of lower players if there is a bit of score inflation that happens, which actually leads to the fact that Hmm. this fixed amount of points is regularly actually increased with the kind of extra points being thrown in. Because for one thing, it allows younger players to have the potential to gain more and to be able to compete in tournaments at a higher level. Because tournaments are capped, or actually set a minimum floor. You have to be a certain minimum rating before you're able to compete. And so these kind of rating floors, or even rating lists, which only people of a certain rating can even be on the list, encourage a certain kind of score inflation, and even support it to a certain degree, so that lesser players have an opportunity to compete at higher levels before they keep shifting these levels up more and more as time goes on. So that kind of adding of points, that kind of built-in limits on who can play do encourage a certain level of building things up there's also things along the lines of players zealously trying to protect their scores and doing various tricks to gain their scores and increase their scores some players have famously over history avoided competitive play or been very choosy about who their opponents were bobby fisher famously after winning becoming world champion did not play another competitive game again for 30 years yeah that kind of thing happens, not as often because it's harder to get away with that now, but it's an element of something that's occurring. But the dominant theory is is that
0: Bobby Fischer, also anti-Semite. Bobby Just throwing that out there.
1: Bobby Fischer was a lot of things. We're, I'm going to probably dedicate next episode of this to Bobby Fischer at some point because I'm suspecting, based on era and prodigy and everything else, that Beth Harmon draws more than a little bit of inspiration from him, particularly at any point in the future. I think so. True. Yeah. You think so?
0: I think a little bit, yeah. But I mean, I, I, do, I just want, you know, a little, little... Can you continue the segment from Uncle Lee here? Uh, Uncle Lee's lessons. Um, if you're a Bobby Fischer fan, don't be. <laughs> just scratch it. <laughs>
1: There's things to recommend about it. I mean, it's been fun to see. As I said, Elo never intended this to actually be rating players over time. And honestly, one of the more interesting things is to ask professional players nowadays, who do you think the best is? Who do you think the best was of all time? Because, honestly, they really agree more than they disagree. Interesting. Like, Capablanca, huh. he was mentioned in this episode, yeah. pretty much fixtures on everybody's top ten lists, even though the man died back in the 40s. Hmm. Huh. Bobby Fischer, almost always in everybody's top five lists. Always factors in. And then the Russians. Mm-hmm. Dear God, the Russians. Karpov, everybody puts him on a top list. No question. But in recent years, particularly among the greats today, like if you ask... Um, Magnus Carlsen, or, or if you're asking, Arnonian, or Barden, or various other people, who do you think the best was of all time? Every single one of them will say Gary Kasparov, without fail. Gary Kasparov being one of, in the, like, the last of the really great Russians. There's still some really great Russian players, but the last of, dear God, he's impossible, kind right. of players. The last yeah. of the true world, the last of their world championship run and era. Particularly because they asked Magnus Carlsen who do you think the best was, and he said, well, it depends what you're asking. If you're asking who was the best at any one moment in in their life and in their career bobby fisher no doubt but kasparov was nearly that good for 20 un- uninterrupted years
0: mm-hmm. he okay. was
1: number one throughout the entirety of the bulk of his career that's impossible that just doesn't exist he was an, he was inhuman mm-hmm. so it's fun to see that kind of thing debated out in terms of where they're going but to, I was looking also at a list of just how many people rank in various categories. Well, actually, one other factor that factors for in score inflation, too, is also they're just publishing lists more often. But if you go back to when they originally were publishing these lists by the you know the World Federation, they only, back in, from the first ten years, published one list a year. There just wasn't as much opportunity for movement, if you weren't being ca- calculated that often. You could individually keep track of your score, but it just wasn't as officially recognized. It wasn't until 1981 they even published the list twice. Now... In, uh, 2012, uh, from 2012 onward, they actually update the list monthly. So there's a lot more jockeying, there's a lot more opportunities for your score to move, and there's a lot more younger players that are coming into the game that are constantly moving things around and constantly shifting things. So it's a different world of chess than it was before, and though it seems that scores are being going up faster than probably would be relatively accurate for prior eras, and I think most of the top players would admit as such, it's also just it's a very different game. It's mm-hmm. become a much more world-based game. It's become a much more international-based game. It's yep. become one that everybody can take part in at all times in all ways, rather than it just being at a few stuffy ter- tournaments that are occurring across the sea. So it's a fascinating system to watch. It's a fascinating system to see how it functions and how many other uses it has outside the scope of chess. But it's important to remember its limitations. And it's even more interesting to learn more about it. And if we're also curious, I was trying to find where like a player like... Um, what oh, sorry, blanking on his name. What was the name of the of the, of the Kentucky State champion that Beth Harmon defeated?
0: Oh, um, belt Bel, Bel-, Bel-
1: Belchick, Belchick, that's right. Um, I was trying to find where he would rank on the list. Uh, at you know twenty one fifty rank. Uh, to put it in perspective, they do not have a category for him. <laughs> he does not factor in. He's too out. low. Yeah. Uh, pretty much only players over 2,200 even get nominal consideration, and they've honestly been shifting that list up remarkably over the years. It, you, for many years, it was if you're over 2,200, you get on an official list. Now, for most official lists, it's only if you're over 2,703. Gives you a hint about how much the scores have gone up over the years. Mm-hmm. But for those that are over 2,200, there are worldwide approximately 10,000 players that are above him. Mm-hmm. Uh, are above 2,200, with about 5,300 in the 2,200 category, uh, which would be a candidate grandmaster, or a candidate master. Uh, nearly 3,000 that are in the master title, uh, about 1,400 that are in the ma- international master, international grandmaster, and then about 700 above that that are in their own category of grandmaster above And even that was in 2015, so those numbers are probably well-off since, but it shows, again... Probably back in his era there might not have been ten thousand people playing competitive chess in the world at the time. Now we've got that month that, that many that are in the highest rankings. It's a bigger world now, there are more people playing and there's also just more people.
0: I am glad that you talked us through the the ranking system and what the numbers mean and kinda how people get to their score. Um, because this is going to come up. I mean, this uh, Beth isn't done by beating beltic. I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of other episodes to go. She's going to play uh, other people, uh, some of them, you know, obviously more skill, and their ranking comes into play. So this background is actually really great context for the rest of the show. So kudos to you, Spencer. Very strong segment.
1: And I do like the too, just because of what it encourages among players. Because it encourages you to be cutthroat. Because. Yep. A, if you are holding the higher title, I encourage you to be very defensive about protecting it. But if you're a lower-ranked player, you are out to kill motherfuckers because you get their points. You get a a hefty chunk of points if they're well-established and you aren't. You can get their belt.
0: You You get their championship belt.
1: Yeah, it can allow you to meteorically rise in the set. Well, that's kind of the reverse of what I'm trying to say. It allows you to just jump up the rankings very quickly because you can get a host more points off them than they ever can touch from you. So for someone like Merman that has no rank, that has no prior history, if she starts taking out greats like this, she's going to jump into international recognition in a heartbeat just because she's coming from nowhere and has the advantage of the rating system from that.
0: Hell yeah. All right. Great segment, Spencer. Anything else you want to cover um, from this episode of Queen's Gambit? No, I thought this
1: was solid enough television. It gives me hopes for an even more excellent series to continue hereafter. And I'm just really curious to see where this, you know... Young woman with the mind of a genius goes from here.
0: All right. Thank you. Well, this has been the Mango Talks TV, our coverage of queen's gambit You can find that on Netflix. This is episode two, Exchanges. Check out all the other pods here on the Mango Talks TV. Our Mango Talks Podcast channel. You can check out Mangum Reads, where currently they're doing uh what? The Agatha Christie stories?
1: Agatha Christie, pottering around, lots of entertaining stuff that we hope you'll listen to.
0: Boom. Yeah, check that stuff out and As always, check out Mangum Talks TV. We are here for you for Queen's Gambit. We're going to do every single episode exactly this format. I am looking forward to it. Thank you, Spencer, for a great podcast. We'll see you next time. See you.